speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 38 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'll be covering episodes 19 and 20 of season 2 of The Adventures of Superman, Perry White's Scoop, and Beware the Wrecker. And to help me tell you all about it, here's Bob Fisher again. Hey everybody, thanks Mike for bringing me back. Oh sure, well, it was a no-brainer of how much fun we had last week on uh, Semi-Private Eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we have a couple of pretty good uh, little Jack Larson bits in, in Perry's scoop, too, that oh, are kind of do. fun. So, uh, yeah, but this is fun. Uh, you know, uh, we're in second season, ni- episodes 19 and 20 already. Almost at the end of the second season. Almost. I can't believe. I feel like I just started the second season. Yeah, uh, second season went pretty quickly, but you think the second season went quick. Well, yeah. Third, fourth, fifth, and sixth season is only half the number of episodes per season, so those might go a little quicker. But then some of the material (laughs) uh, might be a little hard to get through at times. Yeah. I don't don't know. I don't know. I was was looking ahead at some of the episodes, and I was like, seasons five and six are going to be interesting. Yeah, but I still think, you know, state of mind, remember state of mind, because once you get there, it's still Superman. It's still these guys, you know, and uh, and there are other things to look for. The blue changes in the, the color right. of the blue of the suit progresses each year as they're still trying to get the color right to match the red and still look good in black and white. So there's little little things you can look for in the color episodes. They'll be fun. And some of the stories are actually pretty good. Some right. of my top 10 favorite episodes are color episodes. And I was thinking about this earlier today. Once I get to the end of this season, I'll have done 54 episodes of this show. But no, 52. Half, mm-hmm. of, half of it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I've really only hated on one. So, yeah, the the dog. The dog, you didn't, right? You didn't like the dog episode. Why you didn't like that dog episode at all? Like I said before, <laughs> the dog was fine. It was the people who were stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I laughed out loud. I I uh, wasn't here for that one, but no. uh, I had fun listening to you. I laughed out loud a couple of times. Fun show. You mean when I had my nervous breakdown on Mike? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Can't do this anymore. We're taking a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. I had a good time with that. So, uh, but uh, yeah, but we're doing a couple of fun ones uh, tonight. Perry's scoop and beware the wrecker. Ooh. Before we get to those two, I want to mention something I thought about while editing uh, Semi Private Eye the other night. Yeah, how did Jimmy Han- really handcuff himself to that chair? The cuffs were still closed. You know, that's a really good question because you're right. At the time, I think they even showed a scene just before he handcuffed himself to the chair where one of the handcuffs, I think, was still on his wrist. Right. And the other one was closed. And the other one was closed. But then we off camera here and the joke and then it turns and I did it again. And the chair. Uh, Good question. I've been watching that episode on and off for 30 years. I've only thought about that the other night. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's the beauty 
uh, shows like this. Right. Once we start getting into them so deep that we kind of know the dialogue and we look for, then we can kind of look around for what's actually on their desk. Why does right. Clark what, that typewriter wasn't there when they just cut away from him? And hmm, now it is. And Perry's typing on it. Right. Like in Perry, in Perry White's scoop, we've never seen a typewriter in Perry's office before. No, no. And in fact, I think in the very scene, there's like a telephone there. And then they cut away. They cut back. And whoa, where'd that typewriter come from? You know, <laughs> it took me an entire season to notice the big painting of the Brooklyn Bridge in the background. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's a classic. There's even on uh, one of my favorite Facebook sites and websites, uh, The Adventures Continue with Jim Holt, Jim uh, Nolt. They have talked about that very picture. And is it the same one in the black and white that happens to be in the color episodes? And there's a whole history to that painting and where it ended up. And uh, it's amazing that, you know, it's funny. I was thinking of this myself the other day that before the internet, People used to ask me questions about Superman and stuff. Then came the internet, right? And then I thought, wow, look at all this information that I didn't know before. Right. And, you know, you think you really know a lot. And then you meet people online right. who, who uh, have almost made a life of studying this stuff. It's just it's phenomenal, even to the details of kind of debunking the things about John Hamilton reading scripts off his desk. And they'll they'll zoom in and you'll see that those aren't scripts. Those are fake papers or they're newspapers or they're, you know, just something for the show. So he probably did, though, in the later years, read off. Right, I'm sure he did at some desk. point. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I love that the information is out there and that there are people doing this. I saw today there are two Facebook friends who are actually getting PhDs, doctorates, that deal with Superman in comic books. That's staggering. You can do that? Yes. People can do that now. What am I doing with my life? Uh, hey, I'm 65. I'm thinking, do I still got time? <laughs> Yeah, but probably not that I want to dedicate it to that. This podcast could be my thesis. <laughs> could be. Could be. Could be. Good luck with that, young man. Yeah, good good luck. luck. All right. Well, before we get into these episodes, I got some feedback from, from our friend Dave McElvenny. I've been making a- Hi, Dave. Dave Dave is writing on episode 34, in which we talked about Panic in the Sky and The Man in the Lead Mask. Mm, two really good episodes. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I absolutely love this episode covering Man in the Lead Mask and Panic in the Sky. You and Bob Fisher clearly had a good time with both of these, especially Panic in the Sky, which, as you point out, is possibly the best of the TV series, and certainly the most well-known, as well as a clear fan favorite. The Man in the Lead Mask, when I think of it with my grown-up 21st century mind, makes me me think of how casual people were in the 1950s about the risks of exposure to lead. It was in house paint, in the paint on kids' toys, it was in gasoline, it was in the atmosphere due to due to automobile emissions. And the crooks in this story wore lead masks covering their heads, including eyes, ears, noses, and mouths. And with all this lead around, it's a wonder years later when Manel arrived on Earth that he didn't keel over dead as soon as he exited his rocket. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that was interesting in the uh, that they decided to give Monel lead poisoning, that that was his thing. That And they thought, well, that'll be weird, that, you know, because Superman and, and Kryptonite from another planet, so Monel will he... And they make it an an element that is plentiful on Earth and that we used a lot right. at that time period. And the writers at the time had no idea how dangerous lead is to humans. So uh, I just, I love stuff like this. Science! Yes. <laughs> Although I have to caution myself, sometimes with these shows, don't worry about the science. Mm-hmm. 
Dave continues. What can I say about Panic in the Sky that you haven't already mentioned? Well, it's got to be something, but Dave says uh, nothing. Really, yeah. ex- except that the two of you admirably, admirably did justice to it. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you. Th- thank you both for that. This podcast seems to be getting better with each new episode. And thank you to Dave. Yeah, very cool. Finally, perhaps selfishly, I must note that hearing you and Bob Fisher laugh at my Batman v Superman and Harriet joke is something <laughs> I treasure more than gold. Live it was a and, funny joke. It was. Live long and yes. prosper. Dave, Halkar, McElvenny. So Correct. Thanks, Dave. Well, thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. That was good. Well, Panic in the Sky, I could just still talk about that episode forever. You know, I could almost go scene by scene and then just break that sucker down. And, and well, we almost did. But, well, we but, did. And, and, but I still just thoroughly, thoroughly love that story. It it's just such a great, great episode. And uh, I appreciate what Dave said about the progress of the podcast. And I just uh, want to take a minute to mention that. I don't know if you listened to this at all. The... Uh, 10-year retrospective on Superman Returns that Trennis Magnus did. I uh, sent in a... I have not heard it yet. Well, I sent Well, in, I say I've not heard it. I've heard the first, I've heard the first uh, 15 minutes of it. I just started on it today. I'm right. way behind. Right. Well, I'm way behind. Does he mention me? No, but I did send in a, <laughs> like a few-minute recording about it. Yeah. And uh, Trennis said some very uh, nice things about the podcast. So I just wanted to say thank you to Trennis on, on mic for that. He said some very kind words about the show. So. Oh, good. Thank good. you, Magnus. So, with that being said, let's take a quick break. I'll play a promo, and then we'll come back with Perry White Scoop. Hang around, folks. After 54 years, DC Comics has decided to kill off Superman. November 18th, 1992. Man of Steel has proven to be as vulnerable as the mere mortals who've looked up to him for more than half a century. It was a day many thought would never come. Can it be true? Superman will die November 18th. At the hands of a villain named Doomsday? The day that the unthinkable happened. Superman meets his demise at the hands of supervillain Doomsday in the 75th edition of the popular DC comic. Hello, my name is Mario Benessi, and I host the Up, Up, and Away podcast. For as long as I've been a Superman fan, I've been fascinated by the death of Superman's story. After 50-some-odd years, to get people to notice, sometimes you have to go to extremes. During the month of November, episodes of the Up, Up, and Away podcast will be dedicated to the comic event that shook the nation and left millions wondering if the Man of Steel was gone for good. No, they're not going to kill Superman. I think they do it just to get money, and then, like, he's going to revive in two days. There's too much money tied up in Superman for him to stay dead forever, and nobody knows what his uh, Kryptonian physiology is like. You can find the show on Potomatic at upupandaway.potomatic.com and through iTunes. The show and other Superman-related goodies can be found on Facebook by searching Up, Up, and Away Podcast. Mario can be contacted through Twitter at MarioFanOfSteel and through email at mbenessi94 at yahoo.com. That's B as in boy, E-N-N-E-S-E. Up, Up, and Away is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network. Welcome back, folks. I'm going to head right into Perry White's Scoop. Perry's going to show the youngins how it's done. <laughs> and don't call me cheap. Right. Original broadcast date was January 18th, 1954. The writer was Roy Kemp. Four days before my second birthday. January 22nd, 1952, I was born. This was January 18th, 1954. Dwight Eisenhower had been president for almost two years. Just setting a little historical point back there, people. Most importantly, Bob Fisher was almost two. Exactly. Much more important (laughs) that I was two than Dwight Eisenhower's second year of the presidency. Yeah. 
<laughs> writer this episode was Roy Hamilton. I believe that's the first time I'm calling his name. Uh, it is, actually. Director was George Blair. Not yeah. the first time. No, not the first time. George Blair, I believe, did ten season two episodes, and Tommy Carr did the rest. Right. Guest cast includes Steve Pendleton as Lynch, Robert J. Wilk as Bingham, Bibbs Borman as Maria, Jan Arvin as Max, and Tom Monroe as the driver. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman on the web. That was almost professional. That was. Like that sounded about very that? professional. There you go. <laughs> A mysterious diver has been shot in front of the, of the Daily Planet building because these things happen in Metropolis. <laughs> As the newspaper's doctor is trying to help him, he utters the word Quincy to editor Perry White. However, before he can answer the chief's questions about the significance, the man dies. Now, Perry is in the middle of one of the greatest mysteries of his illustrious career. Gosh, Mr. White, why don't you let me handle the story? A diver mysteriously murdered in the center of the city and no water for miles around. Why, that's just the sort of an assignment I always wanted. First aid room. I suppose this will be another break for Mr. Kent. Uh, Johnson, this is White. Have you searched the diver's effects? What about the diving suit? Any label? Give me that pencil. Yeah, give it to me. Inshore Diving Equipment Company. Thanks. Please, Chief. I mean, Mr. White, this is a real mystery. That's why I want to... That's why I'm going to handle this story myself. I'll get a scoop without the aid of Superman. And it'll give me a chance to teach some of my reporters how to go after a story. Starting with you. I guess you don't type as fast as you used to, huh, Chief? Maybe not as fast, but just as good. And don't call me Chief! Perry has written an article on the diver's death. Here's the early edition, Chief. Hot off the press. It's got your story in it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Mr. White, sir, I don't get it. You don't get what? It's written in clear, concise newspaper style. Any idiot could understand it. This part right here. The man in the diving suit before his death made startling and important disclosures to Perry White, editor of the Daily Planet. Well? Well, did he? He said Quincy. That's a startling and important disclosure? In itself, no. But the killer or killers don't know what the poor devil said. All they know is what they read in the paper, and I write the paper. Then it's a deliberate fake. Certainly. The killers are probably worried sick right now about how much I know. That's what will make them come to us. And right now, we're going to put a little more cheese in that trap. You and I are going down to the inshore diving equipment company and rent us a diving suit. Diving suit? But they're liable to come to us the same way they came to that diver. With bullets. You're right, son. You're learning fast. Two pairs of criminals, Lynch and Bingham, and Maria and Max, are searching for something that was hidden by John DeVries, who was in love with Maria before his death. I tell you, this Perry White rented a diving suit from the same company. I trailed him there. That diver must have talked. Now listen to me. I was right in getting rid of that guy. You agreed to that. Now why do you say no to getting rid of this newspaper man? Why? Max. Max, there is a difference between an unknown diver and the editor of the Daily Planet. I tell you, we cannot risk it. Do you want us to sit back and do nothing when we might be facing the electric chair? Please believe me, my way is best. John DeVries was killed while resisting arrest because he delayed long enough to hide the information for me. The diver was next. I am superstitious, Max. Free is bad luck. Believe me, Maria, if we stall any more, Bingham and Lynch are going to get to the hiding place first. DeVries loved you, Maria. Never mention John and myself together. I've told you this. 
As far as Lynch and Bingham are concerned, well, at least we know where the secret is. We are still one job ahead of them. Oh, Max, my Max, you do love violence so. But believe me, patience is still the best weapon of them all. And then they took the diver suit back to the paper. Hmm. So Max Kruger followed the editor who wrote this story. You are wise to watch Max Bingham. <laughs> Poor Max, always too quick on the trigger. We have our first lead, Bingham. I think Max and Maria have finally made a mistake. Well, but they're not going to tell us anything. What are we going to do? Well, they won't, but maybe this Perry White will. Try as he might, Perry just can't seem to squeeze himself into the diving suit. I don't think you ought to do this, Chief. Remember what happened to that other diver. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Olsen. If you want a story, you've got to go out and get it. Olsen! Now, where's that helmet? Be right up, Chief. Oh, it seems to be a little bent, though. I can never get that thing over my head. Oh, I don't know. Olsen, take that thing down to the shop and have them straighten it. You'll have to take the whole blasted thing to get it fitted. You better let me do it, Chief, while I was fixing the jiffy. Here, let me help you off with that. In addition to that, Clark Kent has bent the helmet and taken the gear. He intends to use it as Superman to protect his editor, and he does well to do so. A hired gunman, believing Superman to be white, has opened fire. He didn't count on the iron strength of the Man of Steel to stop him in his tracks. In spite of the risks involved, Perry intends to solve the unusual mystery of the diver's murder. Now, the police are convinced the gunman does not know who hired him. He got his instructions over the phone. So I suppose we're up a blind alley. By the way, how does Superman get that diving suit? I gave it to you just five minutes before the shooting. Oh, well, uh, Chief, you know how Superman gets around. As a matter of fact, he took the matter right out of my hands. Now, let's think. Think of what the diver said. Quincy. What's diving got to do with Quincy? Well, what does Quincy mean to any of you? Just a phone exchange. Quincy 1234 and so forth, right? Exactly right. And because you came up with it, Lois, the assignment is yours. What assignment? Ah, here's where years of experience pay off. Now we know that Quincy is a phone district, right? We call the phone company and find out the area of that district. Then you, bearing in mind the fact that diving was connected with Quincy, make a list of every possible place where a diver could be used in that area. Understood? Right. Can't you and Olsen stand by? Yes. In your office. After Lois can find nothing related to swimming, lakes, reservoirs, etc. I've made 8 million phone calls. I've studied 20 million city maps. The nearest reservoir is 10 miles away. No lakes in the park. The piping in the sewer system is too narrow to permit a diver. No records of any old cisterns or wells of any appreciable size. In other words, a big fat blank. Blanks, blanks. I can't print blanks. Now take it easy, Chief. She's had quite a workout today. A workout? That's one you overlooked. A workout. A gym. A pool. Water. A swimming pool. Yes, and Quincy fits in too, Chief. There's a Quincy Athletic Club. It's got everything. It's got a gym, pool, and so forth. Fine. And this time, you'll have a chance to see a real reporter in action, Kent. We're going to take a reducing course. <laughs> Clark and Perry want to look over the pool there, but a weighted barbell is blocking the door. The locker room attendant, who is actually Bingham, said it was closed. Clark has discovered otherwise. Bingham is suddenly suspicious of the two men because of their curiosity. Now, both Perry and Clark find themselves at the mercy of Lynch and Bingham. 
I brought you a visitor, gentlemen. Well, you're most accommodating, Mr. White. Though we'd have preferred it had you come alone. I think you owe us an explanation, Mr. Uh, oh, my uh, name isn't important, Mr. White. Just let's say somebody got desperate and a man was killed. Like a diver, perhaps? Your report is smart, Mr. White. His deduction is correct. They killed him to protect certain information. We uh, intend to obtain the same information. And if we have to kill to get it, we... Well, that won't be necessary, Bingham. Mr. White's a cooperative man, I'm sure. He'll tell us, and right now, what the divers spill to him. I have nothing to, as you say, spill. Well, Bingham, help the gentlemen into the cabinets. All right, Fatso, come on. You too, Mr. Kent. Gentlemen, we haven't much time, and we want the answer. I don't know. I can't tell you what I don't know. Let me have him for a few minutes, and he'll chatter like a magpie. You heard him, and you can believe him. The diver told him nothing. Maybe he's right. Maybe the diver didn't get a chance to... Bingham. The diver must have stumbled across something, and Max and Maria must know what it is. They wouldn't risk killing him. They're wasting time here. We can find out where the stuff's hidden from Max. Well, what about these two? Oh, yes. They're dangerous things, these cabinets. Sometimes the attendant forgets and goes away. Turn them up full. You'll be well done, Fatso, by the time you get out of here. Meanwhile, Perry has lost consciousness. This allows Clark to break out of his box and free the chief. steam cabinet couldn't take it any more than you could. Here, I'll give you another glass of water. I've got it. You got it? I've got it. What? The water cooler. The diver. What? The diver in the water cooler? Chief, that steam must have poached you more than I thought. Now, you listen to me, Kent. The water supply on top, like the water supply in this water cooler, runs down into the cup. To fill this pool in there, there could be a water tank on top of this building. Of course, a water tank. Why didn't I think of that? Let's get dressed and go up and take a look at it. See, I told you I was a better reporter than you are. Let's call Olson. As Jimmy, Clark, and Perry examine the Quincy Athletic Club's water supply tank, Maria and Max, who live nearby, observe them with binoculars when Lynch and Bingham arrive. Well, you have guests, Maria. And welcome ones, I hope. Welcome as the plague. Oh, come, come, Maria. At least be sociable. DeVries didn't like me either, but we always had a very pleasant uh, business association. <laughs> That's why he left the last shipment for me. Yes, but I don't think you'll find it. Ever. Get out of here! <laughs> you are wasting your time. Get out! Well, uh, first a few facts, Maria. John DeVries gave me a sort of, well, a sort of verbal auction on the stuff. 
When he was foolish enough to run foul of the police and to resist arrest, he was killed. This is regrettable, but, uh, well, these things do happen. What doesn't happen, however, is my finding myself cut out by you. For the last time, where is it? I'll never tell you that. You know that, Lynch. I, uh, I believe you, Maria. But I wouldn't count on Max. Lynch. Lynch, we have no time to waste. If I talk, if I'm willing to split with you, will, uh, will that satisfy you? But of course, Maria, you can trust me. You know, honor among thieves. Oh, Lynch, we have no time to joke. Look, look over there. They get out of the cabinets. Let's have it. What does that tank to do with it? It's inside the tank, Lynch. Just before the police closed in on John, he phoned me. He tried to tell me. He did not have the time. All I heard was on the club on the roof inside the tank. That's why Maria took this apartment, to keep an eye on the tank. And that's why you hired the diver. We planned to smuggle him up there, but he heard too much and got frightened. I've got to know. What did John DeVries put in that tank? That's what we must find out. Unless they find out first. There's about two feet of water left, Mr. White, but it's going down slowly. Go on, get in, get in. Like this? A little water never hurt an old-time reporter. You'll dry. Jimmy's search of the water tower has only led to him getting wet, or so he thought until a larger goldfish with a band around it is discovered in the cuffs of his pants. Did you find anything? Oh, just a load of moss, not much else. Jimmy, you handled that just like a veteran. Tell me, can you type underwater? <laughs> hey, look! There's a goldfish in my... For heaven's sake, a goldfish. Throw it back, throw it back. But it's got a band around it. So it's a pedigreed fish. Now, wait a minute, Chief. I never heard of a banded goldfish. The only fish they usually band are game fish, like trout. And what's a goldfish doing in that water tank, anyway? Can you get the band off, Jimmy? Oh, I think so. Here, wait a minute. They found the large goldfish John had in the aquarium. John was smart, Maria. No wonder we could never find anything when we searched his apartment. But exactly how did he hide the secret? Look, there's some writing on it. W-S-K-L-I-K-H-S-F. It looks like a, it's code of some sort. Let me see it, Jimmy. Code used to be a hobby of mine. This should be a cinch done scramble. It says car 763-792 East Yard. Must be the railway yard. The railroad yard's good. Kent, I want to scoop every paper in town on this. You go back to the office and write up what's already happened. Olsen and I'll meet you down to the yards later. Well, now, wait just a minute. What if those pot shotters and gym characters come back? Oh, we'll take care of them, won't we, Olsen? Oh, sure, we can handle it. Come on. You can dry off down to the gym. They found something on the band and are rushing away. Quick. While Clark is at the office, Perry and Jimmy have arrived at car 763792. Why, it's only paper. Nobody would kill for that. Take another look, Mr. White. Look closer, Mr. White. You see the threads running through it? They're silk threads. You're looking at the finest banknote paper ever made outside of Washington. Just how many $20 bills do you suppose all this will make? So you're counterfeiters. 
And if you've got good plates, this paper is worth millions. Worth a lot of trouble, Mr. White. All right, let's get started. John DeVries was part of a counterfeiting operation, and Lynch was his rival. Now, Lynch, Maria, and their henchmen have followed Perry and Jimmy to the railroad yard. Lynch, having every intention of keeping the paper for himself, pulls a gun on Maria and the others. He has Bingham set the train compartment on fire to rid him of Maria, Max, Jimmy, and Perry. Lois Lane and Clark Kent arrive at the railroad to find Lynch and Bingham loading the currency paper in their car. Lois goes to get the police, while Clark must pretend to be knocked unconscious by Bingham. He rolls onto the burning train car to become Superman. He douses the flame with his super breath and removes the compartment's door. The Man of Steel then knocks out Lynch and Bingham before Jimmy punches Max. Nice going, Jimmy. I couldn't have done better myself. Gosh, thanks, Superman. See, Jimmy, I told you I'd make an old-time reporter out of you. Oh, me, an old-timer? Gosh, I'm only a cub reporter. Superman, will you do me a great favor? Most certainly. Don't let Clark Kent know I had to depend on you to save us. Well, don't worry, Mr. White. He'll never learn about it from me. <laughs> so, what do you think of this one? Oh, this is a fine episode. This is solid. This is this is a fine, fine episode. I have uh, a lot of good thoughts about this one. You know, I love the fact that it's, you know, Perry out there leading the day and looking for the, the scoop. Right. Going for the story. Um, and uh, I just really like the whole, the whole attitude, the concept. And it's more of a little mystery, you know, than, than uh, normal. Right. For uh, for the adventures of Superman. A lot of times the mystery, if there is one, is pretty straightforward. And, you know, we pretty much know what's going on and who's doing it. You know, we had – oh, I was trying to think if you had gotten to that one yet. I, I'm not sure which episode which, it is. Which but, one? Uh, the one with the uh, the boss. Oh, oh. Yeah, that might have been the crime wave, I guess. Oh, we're trying to find out no. the, who, the, who the boss was, where they showed him in shadow. Oh, in, yeah, that was crime wave. Uh, when he, yeah, that was crime wave. Yeah. So – uh, so that was a pretty good little mystery. But this one I think is pretty interesting in that, that the viewer doesn't really know who the bad guy is. Uh, oh, yeah, yes, until, we do. yes, we do. We don't know which one of these guys is the bad guy until later in the episode. I always took it the fact that they were all the bad guys. They were just two groups of bad guys. Oh, 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 oh right, 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 right. I got where you're going. Yes, yes, yes. The, the, the mystery was more or less what they were trying to right. find. The MacGuffin than, of the episode, we were trying to find out what they were chasing. What they were chasing, exactly. And yeah, I, I got ahead in my little brain. You're thinking of the next second. episode where we're trying yeah, to figure out a, who the wrecker is. Yeah, I went a little I went I went a little okay, I can blame that on old age, right? Does that one count as a <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep at night, my friend. <laughs> right. Yeah, but jumped ahead a little bit. Right. Uh, well, you just watch them both together, so sometimes yeah. they, they can bleed. They bleed. But I love the fact that Perry is leading the day, and we get to see some Jack Larson bits in this, and some really nice, not quite as serious, not quite as you know ominous as uh, the first season where Jack and John did their little things together. But I think I like this episode because the two of them, again, are playing off of each other. and. But there's so many good scenes that we'll get to in a second. They're just just, just some really, really fun scenes. And I enjoy of, this one a lot. Yeah, a lot of Perry and Clark playing off each other, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just great to see Perry out of the office. Oh, and, absolutely. And when you see him out of the office doing, you know, other stuff about, you know, and in other clothes and doing things in sweatsuits. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's some good scenes. Really good scenes. So. Yeah, I give this one really high marks yeah, for a second season episode. George Reeves looks good. They, uh, I think he looks really good in the second season. I it's, think he looks his best in the second season. 
Yeah, he really does look good. The hair is dark, dark black, and it's just he's just large and in charge. And, you know, the the costume fits well. It looks like they've taken some of the muscle suit out or something. Whatever. It just looks like it fits better. It looks like it's more him than the muscle suit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I agree with you. I think he looks really, really good in the second season. Because we're going to start. There's no exception. Right. We're going to start to see in the color episodes, his age will start to show. Right. And I actually think in the color seasons, they should have made the padding smaller, particularly around the midsection. He's still wearing this huge muscle suit in the fourth, fifth, and sixth season. And there's no reason for him to have that in there. Right. So anyway, uh, but yeah, what did you think of it overall? I thought that, I thought this was a fun one, you know. I've seen all of these episodes before, so I don't remember them all when I sit down and watch them. Right. But certain things in each episode stand out. Like I remember the steam cabinets, right? And, and Jimmy with the water tank. So right. It's fun to to see those little things again, and right. And what was the actress name that's playing uh, um, the head bad lady, Maria? What's her name? Bibbs Borman. Yeah, I don't know her. I don't know her, but the actor who played Max, Jan Arvin, he later played Nacho Torres on Zorro. Oh, right, right. And Robert J. Wilk, I believe that's Bingham. Yes, it is. He plays Crane or whatever his name is in... He's been in a couple of... He's a bad guy in the other episode. Right. Well, this thing also lists him as having played Marshall Sam Corbett on The Legend of Jesse James. Mm, okay. So, so well, One of the three businessmen was also in the episode where Jimmy's in the safe, locked in the safe. It might have been the the talkative dummy. You're thinking, you're thinking of Wrecker again. Oh, yeah. Pierre, How am P- I slipping ahead to Wrecker so quick? Why am I going? I keep going to Wrecker. Because Pierre, Pierre Watkin is in Wrecker and was a talkative dummy. And was in yeah. the Kirk Allen series. And was in the Kirk Allen series. So, yeah, I keep slipping ahead here to Wrecker. Yeah. So, well, I'll get, wow. Mm. Well, you watched All that right. one most recently. That was probably the second one you watched. Yeah, I just watched them both uh, shortly before we went on air. So the wrecker is fresher in my brain. Yeah. But but wow. So, <laughs> so let's get into this one. Yeah. So obviously, like I mentioned in the synopsis, it's a normal day in Metropolis. A guy in a scuba suit is shot down, you know, and nobody reacts at all. No, yeah. Isn't that amazing? That jumped out at me today. The guy shoots to go. Well, for one thing, it looked like the guy had a hard time pulling the trigger on the gun. And he pulls the trigger, a couple of shots come out, another one doesn't, but you keep hearing bang, 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 bang. Right. A guy in a diving suit, and this is a full body diving suit with a helmet, not, right. you know, like a scuba gear, not like a little self contained yeah, underwater suit. breathing apparatus. <laughs> Very good, sir. Thank you. But this is a full diving thing, and there's two or three guys walking by, and they nonchalantly. Just lean over the guy and look at him and wow, and then they cut right. back upstairs to Perry and Superman and I mean Perry and Clark and Perry's yelling at right, Clark. Yeah, he's apparently frustrating. He's very frustrated with his reporters and he's yelling at them. Yeah, who was the reporter he mentioned on the phone? I was going to make a note of that and forgot. Jones? White speaking. Yes. No, no, Mr. Jones. Handle that assignment the way I told you to handle it. Your reporters all make the same mistakes. You refuse to take orders. No imagination. You don't think when you have a problem to work out or a tough spot to get out of. Yes, Chief. All this depending on Superman for help. In my day, when I was a reporter, I... And you were a good one. Well, let me tell you this. I always saw a story through. This 
Mr. White. What do you mean barging in here like this? Downstairs, right in front of the baby planet. Did you hear what I just said? A man was shot downstairs, right now, just in front of the planet building. Who was shot? A man in a diver's suit. A man in a diver's suit. The boy's losing his mind. Well, Dr. Johnson's working on him right now in first aid. First aid? Come on, get him. Something it was like Morgan Jones or something Jones, yeah. and he says and he something called him Mr. Jo- Mr. Jones or something. Something and write that story the way I told you to. Rah, 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 rah. And then he yells at Clark and Lois, "Why can't my reporters?" And they, hey, we yeah. got mentioned another reporter that works at the Daily Planet yeah. other than Clark and Lois. Well, once in a while we see Jimmy's desk in the city room, and there's a couple of other bodies in there, but a couple of people, yeah. But we don't really see that room too much. Very so, especially. Perry is frustrated with the reporters, because, isn't he always? Yes. And apparently they're too dependent on Superman. And Perry is all upset at that. Right. And with good reason. Perry's going to have some egg on his face at the end of this episode. Yeah, boy. And then Jimmy comes in. Yeah, and he's going to give Perry a story. And, of course, the minute Jimmy comes in and says, oh, you're crazy. Of course, I hope I have the same reaction if somebody in a diving, somebody told me somebody in a diving suit got shot right in front of me. And so they got... Shot, so shot right downstairs, and Clark didn't hear it with his super hearing. Must not have had it turned on. Perry was probably yelling too loud. (laughs) So then they run down, and the next scene, it's I guess he's just yeah. They're in, and you notice in this opening scene, by the way, which takes a few minutes. You've got uh, you know from the technical standpoint, you've got uh, the camera close up. You see Perry. Then the camera pulls back as he's hanging up the phone, yelling, stands up, walks around, talks to Clark and Lois, yelling, yelling, yelling. Uh, Lois makes a couple of smart little comments. Jimmy runs in, makes his stuff, blah, 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 guy downstairs, kill, shot, 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 whatever, whatever. Okay, let's go. And everybody runs out with Clark kind of leading or, you know, pushing them all in front of him. Right. But George Reeves never says a word in this whole scene. No. He just stands there the whole time watching and never says a word. That was pretty cool. And they all go out. And then the next thing we see is, uh, I guess they're in the sick bay, which is interesting. So a guy gets shot in front of the Daily Planet. Yeah, apparently they have a little medical office in the newspaper office. So this newspaper They have a doctor on staff. (laughs) Has a surgeon, apparently, on staff who apparently can operate on a guy with bullet with just a white cloak coat on and a, uh, a stethoscope sorry he's dead but yes a medic this guy could be Perry planet <laughs> this guy could be anybody it's just that's just terrific i love that and, and the, the so the people says, around it, this guy dying are the doctor that we've never seen before and will never see again and the room only says first aid on it this is that's well it. beyond first aid so that's just amazing. Yeah. Gonna, operating guy has been shot four times with bullets. Don't get him to the emergency room. Take him to the Take him downstairs. For the, the medic bay, the first aid room right. of the Daily Planet. And the reporters are all standing around him as Perry leans over and we hear the guy say Quincy yeah. before he dies. Of course, <laughs> because he only, he only gives yeah. half the information before he dies. He can't give the whole thing. Wouldn't be a story. That wouldn't be a mystery. Well, we would have got, gotten to the gym a lot faster. A lot faster, yeah. Apparently, when they get back upstairs, because that's that's all, all they have to do is take a quick trip up the elevator, back from the first aid room. <laughs> right. That we'll never see before, that we've never seen before, and we'll never see again. And Jimmy is frustrated because he thinks Clark will get the assignment. But, like I said in the opening, Perry's going to show the youngins how it's done. And he's going mm-hmm. to, uh, he's, he's going to do the story himself, and... Jimmy comments about uh, Perry's typing as we see uh, John Hamilton's one-finger search-and-destroy method. Uh, typing on a typewriter that was not there 
in the previous scene in his office. There was a telephone there. But miraculously, when they came back upstairs, there's now a typewriter on Perry's desk with paper in it, ready of, to go. Of course. Uh, you know, the invisible Miss Backrack must have uh, put it in. You know. <laughs> right. Again, a, a typewriter. the first time that's happened. It is, to my memory, it's the first time with Perry. But uh, I think in other episodes, uh, we see Clark's typewriter move from the front part of his desk over to the little side part. Oh, when Clark doesn't need his typewriter, it's nowhere to be found. It's nowhere, right. Uh, Lois's office seems to be the one that every time she seems to be at her desk, her typewriter is right where it was. Right. Uh, her office pretty much stays the same most of the time. But Clark's and uh, Perry's, the typewriter is, uh, <laughs> I guess it's just there when they need it. I'm pretty sure we, I'm pretty sure we never see a typewriter in Perry's office again after this episode. Uh, I don't have any memory of it. If it does pop up again, that'll be fun to see. Right. We'll make a note. When does Perry use another typewriter? I'm going to guess never. I don't mm. recall any other episodes where he types anything. Mm. So, But for good typists back then in the early 50s, could you imagine how fat their hands and the ladies and the people who were really good typists? Right. Uh, because they could still type really, really fast, even on those old mechanical things. Right, and they had, and <clears throat> they had to actually, when they got to the end of the piece of paper, hit a button or something to go to the next line. Oh yeah, you have to do. There's yeah, it's all analog, mechanical. So you've got to push those keys down, and then when you get to the end of the thing, you hit the bar, which takes it, which rotates the the cylinder up to the next line and then you literally use your hand to push it from right to left over to start back again and it'll bing start right. typing ding well yeah there's a whole actual symphony uh written about well not the whole symphony but a part of the symphony I'm drawing a blank on his name because of uh who i am but yes well readers read in and michael sends you a present You'll get a gift from soup from the Man of Screen podcast. If you know the composer and the music I'm thinking of, it won't be a very song. good gift. Ding. Ding! You all know what that is. Yes. Okay. I know what that is. Yes. Next. So, right after that, we go to a shot of the press. Those shots of the press never get old. Never get old. And uh, except we never see that anymore. Well, we do see him once in a while. New TV shows and movies never show that kind of a scene going, showing the press how important it is. Didn't we get a, didn't, didn't we get a shot of papers coming off the press in Batman v Superman? <clears throat> I don't know. I only saw that movie twice. At the end, I thought we got one at the end. You know, we, Perry, uh, Perry pulling the paper off the press. Perry, oh, was he pulling it off the press? Oh, yeah, because yeah. I remember the Perry opening the opening it, looking at reading the headline. I don't remember. And then looking inside at Clark's obituary. Where was Jimmy Olsen's obituary? He was still ticks me. That still ticks me off. Yeah, let's not go there. Let's not. Let's stay in a good. Let's, let's stay in our happy place. Yay! Yeah. Happy and place. So, like I said, Perry is going to uh, get this story without Superman's help. We'll see about that. So, after the press's roll, uh, Perry is proud of his story and the fact that he put a deliberate fakery in the story, hoping to suss out the criminals. And what was the fakery? That the uh, Mister Quincy, oh, not Mister Quincy. Our unnamed dead person told the guy that, in the diver. The guy suit in the diver shot did, in the opening scene did not 
Well, Perry said it indicates that he told him a little more than he actually did. Yes. And Jimmy questions the efficacy of that. And you know what? I'm questioning the, I'm questioning the ethics there, too. I'm not sure. I, I am on the fence on this one because I'd have to actually read the way, you know, again, the way Jimmy or, or Perry wrote it and then Jimmy read it out loud to us. And I'm thinking at the time that really was an important word. And it did lead to with some good investigation. Yes, but obviously Perry has put a big, uh, big bullseye on his forehead. Absolutely. And he has made people believe that the, the, the diver told him more than the actual information given by the diver. Right. And uh, Jimmy says, but now they're going to come looking for you with a ball. Yes. Yeah. Now you're getting it, young man. He didn't, he didn't put in anything not factual. Right. I question the wisdom of what he's done, but Uh, I don't, but because they've done it before they've, this is a tactic that has been used in, in fiction. Right. And in, in these shows before Clark did it, uh, in uh, Lois's story, one of Lois's story, I think we covered already, where he added, uh, might have even been in the in the dog. No, shot in the dark, I believe it was. Where was it? Shot in the dark, where Lois wrote up a story, and then Jimmy, Clark, yeah, because Jimmy had the uh, yes, had the picture. Yes. It was shot in the dark. Yes, so Clark added a uh, not true line to the end of her story. Yeah. Don't give and, the dog episode too much credit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. The dog episode will never be mentioned again. I'm, well, sure, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, the next step here is to rent a diving suit. And Jimmy is afraid of meeting the same fate as our previous uh, diving suit wearer. I can't say, I can't say that I blame him. Mm-mm. And Perry- there was a kind of a funny scene of Perry putting on that suit. and. Uh, yeah. Jimmy doing almost a little slapstick Laurel and Hardy bit there. It's 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 pretty funny little bit. Yeah, and it was short. It was really quick. So it really was quick of, of Jimmy trying to uh, <laughs> kind of stuff Perry into his suit like a Thanksgiving <laughs> turkey. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. So and then Clark bending the helmet. Yeah. Oh, gee, Chief, it looks like it's bent a little bit. Yeah, I, a little bit. It was bent a lot of bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That didn't happen from dropping it on the floor. Right. But Jimmy has a nice little one-liner about, uh, I could probably still get your head in there or yeah. something. <laughs> It'll still fit. It is. Yeah. Why not? I don't think, I don't think Perry's head. But, but, before, but before that scene, uh, when they leave to go rent the diving suit, Jimmy notices Max kind of uh, standing outside smoking a cigarette. He doesn't do anything about him, but you see Max walk, walk after them. Right. And then this is when we get our first uh, look at... Uh, Bingo, or Bingham, or whatever his name is. He's reading the paper, and he's following Max. So we're, already, we're already wondering who these two guys are. Exactly, because now we have what looks like a bad guy following uh, uh, Perry and Jimmy, who are also now being followed by Somebody another else. bad guy. So yeah, we, we have, have no idea who this groups. guy is. We have two different bad guys here. And then after that scene, we get our first uh, look at uh, Maria and Max. And a terrible accent. Whatever oh, her God, accent. that accent. Whatever that accent was, that was awful. But Max absolutely is, terrible. Max is afraid of what Perry will find out, and he is going. He wants to solve that problem the same way he solves every problem by shooting it. Shooting it. So right, right. Well, Maria's thinking a little bit more sensibly. You know, Max doesn't seem to understand why uh, 
killing Perry is not a bad idea. Why it's a bad idea. <laughs> you know. Why that why that might be a little more risky than killing an unnamed diver. Right. Yeah, he didn't really think through. A lot of times bad guys like that, the violent people, they don't look past the immediate action. They don't play what I call the what if game. Right. If I do that, what happens? Oh, then that happens. And if that happens, then what if? Oh, then that. And this guy doesn't look any further than shoot him. Problem's over. Right. He just does. Yeah. So obviously we're seeing, we go right from that scene to, I believe we go right from there to Lynch and Bingham. So obviously Mm -hmm. from the dialogue, we're getting the sense that there's some kind of race here going on. Between this, the Between two these sets two. of bad guys. Right. And we have no idea what this race is. Then we go back to the planet for the dive, for the Perry stuffing. <laughs> and did you notice what Clark uh, said? How long is it going to take to fix the helmet? He'll be a back. A few minutes? He'll be back in a jiffy. Uh, oh, he did say I'll be back in a jiffy. You're it, right. It, it, made, it made me think of uh, the most recent Heckling. Hitman appearance on Supergirl. Yeah. Although he said, look at his, did he say Jiffy? He did. He said it at the end of the second episode when he went back okay. to Metropolis. Because I remember Lickety split. And, uh, all right. But yeah, good. Because that's, uh, I think as I mentioned on my, my own episode, I'll put a plug in. I did an episode talking just about Tyler Hecklin yes. and, uh, some of my impressions. Yours was 30 minutes. Mine was two hours. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I was amazed mine was 30 minutes, though. I cut it down a little bit, but, uh, but, uh, I, I thought they, you know, they, they, they pointed a couple of bits from George Reeves, a they couple did. of bit, and some stuff from Dean Kane and some stuff from Christopher Reeve and, uh, St. Christopher, as I've started to call him. Oh, you're uh, doing it now, too? Yeah, I think so. I think I might have to, actually. We've got St. Saint, you know, Saint Christopher and George the People's Friend. <laughs> George the people's friend. Yeah. But uh, in a jiffy, that was funny. That did not jump out at me when I saw that today, that he said in a jiffy. All right. God, very good. Nice catch. And Clark, of course, then puts it on and wears it as Superman. Of course he does. And I thought this was an interesting scene, too, when, when the bad guy, it might be the same scene, actually. Oh, did, did you notice that that diving helmet has had no effect on Superman's hair whatsoever? None at all. Uh, but I think it's the same scene of the guy in the car shooting in the opening scene. I think they just reused the same clip because it. Uh, I'd have to actually look at it again. Yeah, I had to go back and look at it, me, which I did. Because he did the whole pull the trigger, bang, bang, and then a pull the trigger, nothing happens. And right. you cut back at it's Superman and shots are still going off, but he takes the helmet off and throws it by, hair still perfect. But his left hand reaches for where should be a tie or a jacket to open that isn't. It's almost like he forgot how the opening was. Right. And then reaches up to the neck, pulls it down, jumps and flies, and breaks through the paper ceiling of that car. I did, I did, like, the, I did like the way he, uh, he went into that car. Well, it was fun, wasn't it? Jumped through the seat I, back... Oh seat portion of the roof of the car that was fun and then bang the guy's heads together yeah although i don't remember who hired the second hitman well it has to be the same guy because uh maria's still upset with him because now remember she's yelling at him again right for taking and and now we've got superman involved right so apparently this guy got away with shooting the diver in the first scene in broad daylight exactly so his boss the little guy yeah well, yeah, what happened? This is the last we see of the Hitman, isn't it? Well, yeah, because Su- Superman, like Superman takes care of him right after that. Oh, oh right, right, because that's right. Superman that's jumps right. into the car and he takes care of him. With the paper roof on the car. So right. Superman takes care of him and uh, 
So the hitman at least now has been arrested. And uh, Maria is upset because the guy tried to kill and a newspaper editor. And it's even worse than that. Now we have Superman involved. Right. Way to go. And Perry's upset, too. He well, wants, he's upset, yeah. He wants to know how Superman got the diving suit. With good reason. And Clark doesn't really have a good explanation. No, but I thought he pulled it out because at first his explanation was really poor. And then he just says, well, Superman just took it right out of my hands. Yeah. Okay. Well, who, who, you know, who's going to stop Super, Superman from taking it? Right. And why didn't Superman show up in Perry's office earlier when they came up with the scheme? To, why did he wait for Clark Kent to be going from the upstairs Perry's office to the downstairs, I guess they have an on-site shop right. in the Daily Planet to take care of broken things like helmets and lead masks? I guess and, so. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> It's Getting right, Jimmy unhandcuffed from chairs. You know, it's right next to the first aid room. <laughs> There's a whole floor of just that stuff. Oh, the Daily Planet. An amazing world. People come to Metropolis just to tour the facilities of the Daily Planet. There's an entire floor of the Daily Planet building labeled plot device. <laughs> <laughs> so right after uh, this, is another very long talky scene in Perry's office where they kind of whittle things down to kind of to find out where the diver needs to go. Actually, this episode has a lot of talky talk. Yeah, it does. But it's all talky talk with a purpose. Yeah, it is. Because and things do seem to be moving. So, you know, it's uh, back and forth. A lot of talky talk, but in different locations, in three right. different spots. And now we're in four different spots. And even all the talky talk, you can even see in the scene in the Perry's office, you can see them thinking, them working, uh, them working things out. Right. And I think this is the scene where Lois... Uh, no, this is not the scene where those came up with nothing. That's coming up. But anyway, uh, Jimmy, they're all told, uh, st- Jimmy is told to stand by. You know, they all get their assignments. Jimmy's told to stand by. He pops right down on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that scene of uh, <laughs> Perry chasing Jimmy away. But interestingly, Perry points to the door and says, your office. Yeah. Jimmy has his own office. Jimmy doesn't have his own office. He bunks so with Clark. So when he says, when he says your office, where is he telling him to go? Either to the city room, Clark's office, or Lois's office, but not in my What he should have says, not here, and be pointing to the outside. Yeah, well, Perry couldn't care less where Jimmy goes as long as it's not where he is. Exactly. But he does say the words, your, your office. And Jimmy could have said, oh, I have an office? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, we're going to get to Jimmy in the next episode, kind of turning Perry's words around on him. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah. So now there's another long talkie scene with, uh, well, this is a shorter talkie scene where we get some more of Maria and her bad accent yelling at Max for solving his problems by shooting at them. Right. Max has to quit shooting at people, especially when it's Superman. Well, he, well, he didn't know. <laughs> yeah, but she already told him not, not to, to shoot the people. guy in the diving suit. So she, you know, he, we are assuming that Maria is his boss. And he broke her, uh, uh, orders again. He disobeyed orders again. I don't think she wanted him to kill the diver originally. I think she was upset that he killed the diver and let him get away with it. Maybe she was upset that she killed him in the middle of the afternoon. In broad daylight, yeah. but didn't actually kill him because now there's a story in the paper where he said something. So Maria's really ticked at a lot yeah. of stuff. And where was the diver going? Uh, the what? diver knew where he was going. He had put the suit on, so he was going to the gym to get to the tank. Because the tank was full. So he was going to put the diving suit on to get up on the tank, go down, find the goldfish, uh, uh, but didn't get there. 
because he got shot in front of the Daily Planet. Why is he wearing the diving suit in the middle of the street? <laughs> exactly, because where where do they get the diving suit? Apparently, it's close to the Daily Planet because when they looked it up, right, then Perry and then went and got one. And why would Metropolis? <sighs> I live in Richmond, Virginia. I mean, we're pretty close to water and right. the ocean down the James. I mean, Norfolk is you know right. not that far away. I think I'd have a hard time going to downtown Richmond and finding a diving suit. Right. Did cities in Metropolis, well, I guess Metropolis is on the water somehow. Well, I guess we always considered Metropolis being New York and Gotham being Chicago. Right. So Metropolis, maybe, I don't know, would downtown New York City, could you find a diving suit in the middle of the 50s? In the middle of the 20th century? I don't know anyone who wants to dive in any of those rivers. Who knows? Maybe you needed to to even think about it. But. Dive in any of the New York rivers, you probably melt. Yeah. Well, it comes. You know, there's they use a diver in several episodes in the future and the water. Right. There's a submarine off of Perry's coming up in a color episode. There's a diving bell right. with Superman's wife coming up. And, just, just about any major city is going to be on some kind of water. Yeah. Not I necessarily guess. the ocean, but a river for commerce purposes. Yeah. And electricity, etc. All right. So. Solve that problem. Well, not really. <laughs> we still haven't solved the problem of why the guy didn't put the diving suit on when he got where he was going. Yeah, it makes no sense why he would put it on then cross town. So he went to the, we can assume that he went to the diving company, rented the suit, and put it on right there and started walking and then got shot in front of the Daily Planet. Right. Of all places. Yeah, it makes no sense. But for the story, it worked perfectly. Yeah, it works for the plot. And I don't understand what Perry was trying to accomplish by putting the diving suit on. Uh, he was apparently going to walk, too, and lure the guys after him. So they all decide to put the suit on before they get to where they need it. Yeah, but he didn't know where he needed it. <laughs> I guess he was just going to put it on and walk around. I guess. I know, it didn't make any sense. You're right. It doesn't. <laughs> Except that the plan worked because Superman was in the suit. Yeah. Had Perry that- been in the suit, yeah, they'd have had the guys out, out but Perry would have been shot. Right. So I'm not sure what Perry was trying to accomplish by putting the suit on. He wouldn't have known where to walk to. No, just go stand in front of the Daily Planet and wait to be shot, I guess. Yeah, that doesn't... And then tell Jimmy, when they shoot me, follow them. Anyway. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Moving on. I think think if we follow the rabbit hole too far, we'll go crazy. Yeah, don't overthink that one. So Maria is tired of Max's propensity for violence. And by this time, we're getting tired of Maria's accent, too. So now we get back to the scene where Lois has come up with nothing. But she didn't think of gyms and uh, swimming pools. And I can't say I blame her, because who wears diving gear at the gym? Right. So this is when Clark puts it together. Quincy Athletic Club. So they're going to go take a reducing course. And boy, do they almost get reduced. Boy, do they. But that steam sure knocked Perry out quick. It did. It? But before that, we do get to see their alternate their alternate outfits. True. Perry and Clark in uh, gray sweats. Yep. Clark. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. They're going to the gym in heavy sweatshirts. So they are Yeah, that gonna... was a thing then, I guess. So apparently this trainer here is uh, Bingham, Lynch's, uh, Lynch's partner. And first thing he does is comment on Perry's weight. Clark uh, wrecks the boxing bag. I'm not sure why. Mm. Was he? If he was trying to make Bingham leave, Bingham was leaving anyway. Right. So I'm not... I guess that was for the kids. Right. Let us know. He's still Superman. And uh, they mentioned the pool. Perry gets very excited, and Bingham gets a little nervous. Ah, swimming. Now there's a sport I like. Well, that door's locked. The pool's empty. We're getting it cleaned. Oh, I see. 
You've got to get in there. I know. Watch the door. The pool is empty. So I, I did like the way they set up the super thing that's going to happen in a second with Bingham making that barbell look like it weighs a ton. Right. He's really struggling with it. It's so heavy to lean it up against that door. Ah! Right. But Clark moves it and puts it back like it weighs nothing. Right. So that I think that was a nice little touch. That was. And uh, obviously the pool is mysteriously empty. Right. So Perry uh, watches the door. Which I think is also interesting that, and again, they do it for us, but it looks like both of those rooms are equally lit. Right. But on one side of the door, you can see Perry's shadow on the door. But on the other side, you don't see Bingham's shadow on the door from the other side? Not at all. Not at all. And if you see one, you should see the other. Right. And Bingham can obviously see that Perry is standing there looking out, trying to look through the glass. Exactly. So he knows what's going on. Right. But Perry should see his shadow, and he doesn't. So, again, plot. Right. And, of course, because he's a criminal, Bingham comes back with a gun. Of course he does. Because I almost think he didn't need to. They didn't find anything. Uh-uh. They, they might have they might have just moved on. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Bingham makes his phone call. Lynch comes down to uh do a lot of talking, trying to find out what Perry knows. And then Lynch actually talks himself into the plan that he should have had in the first place. Why right. am I following the Daily Planet people around when I should have just gone after the other bad guy in the first place? Now did you get the sense that Lynch was right upstairs? Uh, yeah, pretty close. Yeah, in the building. Yeah. So, is that apartment that Lynch is staying in, is that is that above the, the gym? No. It just seems awful convenient that he's there all of a sudden. Did get there pretty quickly. Right. Unless there was a time thing that was assumed that we didn't really pick up on, because right. the scene happened quickly. But I got a feeling it was all happening pretty quickly, but you're right. Didn't occur to me right then where. But did Bingham say when he called him, get down here? Right. Well, it could, it could have been either get down from up there or get down from wherever he is. From wherever you are. Get down. Yeah. Come downtown. Could have been anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I did not. I'm not sure I assumed that what's his face was upstairs or even right. in the same building. But he was nearby. Right. Because everybody is so, well, Lynch and Lynch is so obsessed with what the diver told Perry. But obviously we know the diver didn't tell Perry anything. Just all just Quincy, which is what got right. them to where they are. Apparently right. uh, Lynch and Bingham know this already. Because they probably emptied the pool looking for whatever they're looking for. Could be. And this is when Lynch realizes that a Max must know. And so they they leave Perry and Clark to uh, get steamed. Their heads kind of look like bowling balls <laughs> kind of sticking out of this, these steam cabs. Yeah, it looks pretty weird. Yeah. So, fortunately, Perry passes out pretty quickly. Yeah, lots of steam. Perry goes out. Clark just kicks the thing. That yeah, was so cool. I like that. I did like that. So I like seeing Clark break out of his styrofoam steam box. Right, and he had to be careful how he did it, if you'll notice. He had to use his right hand and arm and foot to kick the front door and the thing open hard for the super look. Right. And softly with the left one, because the left one would have hit uh, Hamilton right in the head if he had knocked that one off. Right. So he couldn't do that. Yeah, he's cranky but, enough. You don't want to hit him in the head. You don't want to hit him in the head with the cabinet. It's really nice seeing Clark do super feats with an unconscious Perry right next to him. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I always liked those two as a kid, and when things like that happens, and it happened many times, where well, several, where right. in the presence of the other people, Clark had to do super stuff, right? But either knock out gas, memory wiper, whatever, right, made him forget. But I always liked it when they had to do that. And this one was fun. This was a good one. 
Right. So Clark, thinking on his feet, the steam cabinet malfunctioned, mm-hmm. which is as good a reason as any. Couldn't take the steam any more than you could. Nope. It almost sounded like Dean Martin. Couldn't you take did. the steam any more than you could. So Perry is inspired by the water cooler when he realizes there must be a water tank on top of the building to fill the pool. And Very clever thought. Very clever thought. And now they're not going to do anything until Jimmy arrives. Well, they have to change clothes while Jimmy gets there. Right. Well, yeah, they do have to do that, but they're not going to do any more work hmm. until Jimmy show, until Jimmy arrives. Well, because Perry and Clark aren't going to climb up there in that tank. No, they are absolutely not. Of course, uh, Clark could have just used x-ray vision to look around and go, oh, yeah, there's a little fish swimming around and it's got a tag on his tail. Yeah, well, he can't do that with Perry around. So Why, the little beams? Do you see the x-ray vision beams come out? <laughs> I didn't see him look either. He never even attempted to, which is... Amazing. So, I, I guess, uh, like I said, so Jimmy was summoned to be the gopher. Right. You know, I wondered at first if maybe they could have seen this water tank on the roof when they got there, but maybe not. Maybe it's not big enough to be seen from down, from the street. Probably not from the street because of the angle, but right. like what she was to Maria from, you know, across the street or a block away or something. Well, Maria With- actually said that she got the apartment she did so she could see the tank. Yes. So she could see the roof of that building, so. She's looking at the binoculars. This is where Bingham and Lynch show up, and they kind of they kind of have it out. Apparently, Lynch was cut out with the deal. Maria and that former boss, John DeVry, so I'm assuming he's dead. They had something going on, so she must have inherited more of the business than Lynch did. And uh, Lynch just wants his cut <laughs> or his pound of fish, his piece of the action. Right. Maria apparently knows the package is in the tank, but she even she doesn't know what it is. And well, this is when we get to the point, Jimmy. Uh, doesn't really want to go and doesn't want to go into the water tank. <laughs> Perry just kind of stands there and yells at him until he does, because that's their dynamic. That's what they do. Well, I had to yell at him first to tell him to go down and empty the, drain the tank. Right. Which I thought was interesting. So just anybody can do that? I guess so. I could, I could just go down to my neighborhood gym if they have a tank that fills their pool up on the roof and just, I could do that. I could turn that on. Cool. Apparently nobody else is working at this gym other than Bingham and Lynch. Apparently. The gym is completely unattended. And nobody's in it. No. So so now we get some Jack Larson physical comedy here as he climbs down the ladder. He, he does take his shoes and socks off. He does a horrible job at uh, rolling up his pants because they keep falling. And Jimmy <laughs> kind of hilariously falls and stops around in the water a little bit and didn't find anything Mm-mm. until he felt something squishy in his pant leg. Ooh. Yep. And uh, he pulls out a goldfish. A big goldfish. Yeah, that was a pretty big goldfish. And there's a little there's a little band on the goldfish's tail. And I'm really finding it amusing watching Jimmy try to take this thing off a squirming goldfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably by the first take, when he takes it out of his pant legs, that fish was alive. By the second, third, fourth, fifteenth take, right. that's a dead fish when he hands that piece of paper to Clark. That if- fish isn't doing a lot of flopping at that point. Yeah, well, if... Uh- if that didn't do in that fish, that fling Jimmy did with the fish later definitely did. Because <laughs> <laughs> when they leave the water tank, he just flings that thing. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And Clark, of course, has, you know, used to be an old hobby of deciphering codes. That's all. Well, of, of, course and so, just, of course it is. And just reads it perfectly in real time. Well, you know, Clark did decipher the broken statues. Mm-hmm. So Clark has some uh, experience in code breaking. Yes, he does. Clark goes back to the office because somebody has to write the story. And now we've got a chase on our hands. It's a race to the railroad. To the railroad station. 
And they get to the uh, they get to the railroad track. And look at how fast Jimmy dried. Well, he must have walked with that steam. Uh, wait a minute. He might have dried in the gym. Perry said, "Let's dry you off in the gym." Remember when he came off the? I think it was the last thing Perry said as they left the ceiling. Yes, uh, Jimmy's suit is not going to dry that fast. <laughs> Maybe they had uh, hair dryers and heating rooms. He went into the. I don't know. I don't know. Well, either way. <laughs> Jimmy is dry and his hair is now back to being perfect. So they find the, the boxcar matching the code. And for all of, all the talk about us about Perry getting out and doing stuff, Perry is really doing absolutely nothing. He is just walking. Walking. And, and giving orders. He can't, well, even, he can't even open the train door by himself. Jimmy has to do it. Well, it's very important. Someone has to give orders. Right. He was following the clues. He was. Jimmy, Jimmy was the dumb muscle. As he should be. Right. And this is when the criminals show up and we find underneath uh, the little tarp, some rolls of paper. Originally, I have no idea what it's for, but apparently it is the finest banknote paper made outside of Washington. Worth so, a fortune. Yes. If they have the right plates, and apparently they do. They are counterfeiters, apparently. But that doesn't take place until the color episode, when Superman has to fly the plates from France across the border. Oh, wait. Right. <laughs> You'll get to that. I will. The girl who hired Superman, I believe that is. Uh, Could be. Could be. So, and now that there's a gun pointed at him, Perry's going to do some manual labor. He is going to move the uh, the papers to their car. And back at the office, Lois is sitting on Clark's desk, urging him to write faster. So apparently Clark had to take the time to go back and write the story. That after he did all that, he left it on his desk. Right. Didn't turn it in. Hopefully didn't call some, it in. Hopefully someone is going to come up and get that, because it's just sitting there on his desk. Copy boy. Yep. I also have noticed that after... Uh, as they're piling the paper outside the boxcar, it does seem like there was a lot more paper there than we saw at first. Did seem to multiply. It did. And it didn't seem like there was this much paper underneath that little tarp or whatever, or blanket or whatever it was. Mm. So, now they set the boxcar on fire, and hopefully they'll take, the criminals are going to take the paper with them, because I don't know, I'm not sure if they're going to get all that paper out of there before that boxcar goes up. Oh, they got all the paper out already. Yeah, but it was right next to the boxcar that they were setting on fire. Oh, I guess they assumed that... Or what were they doing with the paper? Did, weren't they putting it on a... Uh, that's right. I don't know. Wasn't, it wasn't actually going into another vehicle or anything, well, was they, it? Well, they, the, they, they were loading it into that little sedan they drove over. Yeah, so they'll just drive away with it. Yeah, some of it at least. I don't think it's all fitting in that car. Yeah, so, Lois and Clark show up. And I like this, because Clark runs out of the car like he's going in. He's, like he's actually going to fight these guys. Like he's going to do something. And then he turns to Lois to have her... Go get help, and Clark is knocked out by one of the reams of paper. And Lois drives Ouch. away. I like these these next sequence of shots here. I like the shot of Clark rolling under the boxcar. Almost got his foot caught. Almost, but fortunately he didn't. <laughs> right. And I really like this shot of Superman coming up through the floor of the train car. Yeah. That, that's a cool-looking shot. That is a great shot. That's so Superman-like, right. too. And it must surprise him, even if you're expecting or hoping Superman would show up. You would think he'd be crashing through a door or the top, right. the bottom. So that's a really nice little It wasn't. Bit. And Perry was very excited to see him, because he pointed and yelled. Right. So that was, just a, that was just a great sequence here. Yeah. And after that, Superman kind of just mops up. He takes the door off the train car, takes care of the bad guys. And I, I was amused that he finishes the punch on Bingham that he was going to throw as Clark. Yes, yes. He kind of just yeah. pushed Lynch down, and he, he, then he thought of it. I'm just going to punch this guy. Finish the punch I was going to start. 
you could almost freeze frame and overlay the two and do a little double exposure of Clark and Superman. It's the same pose, same oh. positioning. It's a really nice little callback or whatever. I don't know if you'd actually do a callback on it, but it's a, it's a nice little bit. I agree. Good bit. I'm almost certain there was probably a mark on the floor so he knew where, exactly where to go. Yeah. It's a really nice bit. That, but that was a, I really like that callback. Mm-hmm. And then, then also when they, back in the car, I love this bit of Max running into Superman. Who just kind of bounces off Superman's chest, and uh, and Jimmy gets the honors. Kaboom! Yeah, nice shot, Jim. Man, that was a nice shot. You know, it's good to see Jimmy get his shot because Jimmy's usually the one getting the shot. Right, but so. Max was a little guy for as right. far as crooks go. So Jimmy gets to uh, knock him out, and we have a great little ending bit where Perry asks Superman not to tell him that he needed their help. And, and well, of course, Superman lets him know that Clark will never learn it from me. Right. <laughs> Wink. But either way, Perry's still going to have some egg on his face because Jimmy knows. Yeah, but he could still write the story without including Superman in it. I don't know oh, and how. I'm, yeah, I don't. I don't know how either. And yeah, you know something, Clark is going to find out because Jimmy can't keep his mouth shut about anything. Right. But Perry could write the story in a way that. All the way up to the very end, so that Perry did uncover the scoop. Right. He he was led by the clues, followed the clues, took him where it took him, got him to the end. Uh, but then, oh yeah, no backup. Whoops. Yeah. Always so, call for backup. Always call for backup. So if he had called for backup, other than to Clark, huh, and he didn't really call backup to well, he said meet us at the yes. He said go back, write the story, then meet us there. Yeah, so see what Perry actually should have done, I guess, was actually call Henderson, too, and right. say, this is what we found out, and be there at this time, because that's what's going to happen. So then the cops would have shown up, and you wouldn't have needed Superman. But it's Superman's show, so you need Superman to right. save the day at the end. Right. And really dramatic. He even did. even Bingham said, you're not just going to leave him in there, are you? You know, when he set the place on fire. Right. Well, no, apparently he was. That was the plan. Yeah, yeah so, you know... Pouring the gas on the floor in there, setting it on fire and closing the doors, uh, burning four people alive in there. That's yeah. pretty grotesque, pretty that gross. Is. But, of course, Superman doesn't let that happen. Yeah. Good episode. It is good a good episode. episode. Good, fun good episode. episode. Yeah. Good episode. Good little story. Perry's out there doing his thing. Get some Jack Larson bits. And George just looks super. He does. He looks, like I said, he looks super in, in the, like I said, he looks his best in this season. Yeah. And in the second season... By the way, in 1954, 55, he was still doing personal appearances in costume right. at state fairs and places. So uh, if you were a kid of 1954 in the Midwest, uh, which is where most of these things, uh, the fairs he went to, right. took place, it's it's possible there are people right now alive who saw George Reeves as a little kid at one of these appearances. So uh, Now, did they do these appearances when they were filming... Black and white episodes? Yes. Yes. Uh, they stopped doing the appearances as Superman in 1955, 56, because of, um, he would still do occasionally uh, a parade where right. in costume. But actually from like 19, I think 55 was the last summer, uh, other than on stage for a bit, but a personal appearance right. where he stopped wearing the costume. I don't think it was... Th there was a story going around that a kid showed up with his brother's gun right. and that was, was going to shoot him. And that I was in Hollywoodland. Yeah, that was in Hollywoodland. But I think that was a fictionalized version 
of, of uh, something that they thought was going to happen. A kid may have had a BB gun or a pop gun or something, and it occurred to them that, you know, that might happen one day. And uh, so George actually stopped wearing the costume for personal appearances. He would still occasionally wear them for onstage skits or bits, but not where he was going to interact with the kids and on stage. Right. There might have been some kind of incident that led to the... Right. That led that led to the eventual... Uh, Overdramatization of that incident. Yeah, but but a kid never actually pointed a real gun, right. to my knowledge, and or shot at him. But something may have spooked them to right. think, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing that because it was just what natural. I, what, what I like know, about that story is that George Reeves talked the kid down. Yeah, exactly. That he always exactly. kind of thought on his feet, even while doing that, never broke the illusion. No, of course not. Uh, I think he would say something like, "The bullet would." Be careful because it would bounce off of me and might hit someone else. Right. That was the rationale that he used. So. Right. So, yeah, don't do that. Even so. that, he never broke character. Which right. I thought, which I think was really cool. Right. Hey, Superman. Well, hello there, young man. What's your name? Kenneth Giles. Can I shoot you? Kenneth, why would you want to do something like that? So the bullet bounces off, can I? Well, if you did shoot me and the bullet bounced off, it might accidentally hit someone else. We don't want that to happen, do we? No. Well, why don't you just, you and I, here we go, partner. Why don't you just give me that? Just hand me that for one minute. Hey, but anyway, good episode. I, I was I liked that one a lot. That yeah, was that, fun. That was a lot of fun. So we'll take a quick break. I'll play a promo. Then we'll come back with Beware the Wrecker. Finally getting more. I've been talking about it for you have. <laughs> the first episode. Now we'll actually get to it. Yes, we will. <laughs> Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier? To explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier.
Welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Beware the Wrecker. Beware the Wrecker. Original broadcast date was January 25th, 1954. Writer was Royal Cole. I believe it's the first time we're calling his name, too. Or it could be her name. I don't know. What was the name? Say it again. Royal Cole. First time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. First time we're calling that name. I did notice looking ahead at season, at some of the future seasons, David Chandler's wife or whatever is going to start showing up right in, right in some episodes. Peggy Chandler. Ah, right. I think I remember reading that in uh, Serial to Serial. Or... Right. And director was George Blair. Yay, George Blair. For baseball fans, a little footnote, there was a fairly famous George Blair had a nice long career for the Baltimore Orioles. Played center field for the Baltimore Orioles. Very fast. Speaking of baseball, with the World Series having, well, by the time this comes out, it'll be over for a few weeks, but only a couple days here now. 1954, I believe, the last time the Indians won the World Series. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so, and whichever way that World Series went was going to be historic. Right. And the fact that it did go to the Cubs is probably a little more historic yep. than than Cleveland. It'll be even uh, more historic if they don't win again until 21-24. Well, you'll have to tell me about it. No, I'm not, <laughs> not going to be here. <laughs> for, for, the, for those of you Superman and baseball fans, the Cleveland Indians have not won the World Series since the Adventures of Superman was on the air. Ouch. Yeah, exactly. But they have been there. They yes, they had been there. They were there last earlier... I think they were think there. They were, they were there in the 90s. Uh, 97. Great series, I guess, with the Braves. No. Uh, that was that was an was exciting Marlins. series. Uh, Marlins, right. And then I think, were they there once in the aughts, I believe, too? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't remember who they lost to, but they lost to somebody. All right. So, guest cast include William Forrest as Mr. Crane. He is the director of the Steamship Line. Superman serial alum, Pierre Watkin. Was Mr. Morgan, he was the director of the airline. Tom Powers as Mr. Kilgore, the director of the railroad. And Denver Pyle as Emil Hatch. And Rennie McAvoy as the carnival bark. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman information on the web. Thank you. Yay! (laughs) It all began about a year ago. Metropolis murmured with the usual hum of activity as the wheels of industry turned, breathing life into the city. Shortly before noon at the city airport, the Silver Star was taking off on its regular run to span the continent. The plane had already passed the city's outskirts and was gaining altitude when it happened. Minutes later, the phone rang in editor Perry White's office at the Daily Planet. An obviously disguised voice asked that a notice be published in the next edition demanding $100,000 from the city or the Crane steamship lines would be next on the list of The Wrecker. White realized that whatever destroyed the Silver Star was no accident but sabotage. There was only one thing to do, warn the steamship authorities. All company vessels operating in the Metropolis coastal waters were alerted to search for concealed explosives, time bombs, or any other suspicious devices. Every passenger and crewman boarding or disembarking was to be carefully watched. Then on the morning of the 17th, the liner SS Colossus steamed out of port under close guard. The ship had just cleared the breakwater when it came, swift, sudden, and without warning. The wrecker had carried out his threat. In all metropolis, only Perry White had had any contact with him, knowing the mysterious saboteur only as a telephone voice, the voice of a ruthless killer who he and Inspector Henderson feared might strike again at any moment. And once more came that strange, clipped voice, 
warning that the Transcontinental Limited, now 10 minutes out of Metropolis, would never arrive. morning paper screamed a lurid account of the smash-up, but could shed no light on the wrecker's identity or how he had caused the crash. Public apprehension was mounting like a tidal wave as demands and pleas poured in on the authorities. It was then that Inspector Henderson arranged a private meeting in Perry White's office. Now you gentlemen control the three major transportation systems operating within this area. I brought you here because we need your help. Are you suggesting that we submit to this wrecker's demands? <laughs> Hardly. You don't starve a blackmailer by feeding him. And you don't run a railroad by permitting its destruction. Or a steamship line. It seems to me we're up against an enemy capable of striking out of nowhere. We haven't much choice except to buy him off. Then I say pay him whatever sum he demands. Do you realize you'd be playing directly into the hands of this criminal? Well, I don't want to be a hero. I'm a practical man. But that wouldn't stop the sabotage. What will? The United Defense. Now, we don't know how the wrecker accomplishes his purpose, but we do know that he's operating somewhere from within the metropolis area. By joining forces, we stand the best chance of closing in on him. Well, if we only had some clue to his identity. He's as anonymous as a shadow, just a mysterious voice on the telephone. What about that voice, Perry? Was there anything about it that might give us the slightest lead? Not the voice, no, but ever since I got that first call, I've been trying to identify a strange sound behind it. Well, what kind of a sound? Well, uh, it's like a repeated thump, followed by the clang of a bell. Church bell? Traffic bell? No, it was different somehow. It was, it was more like the ring of a blacksmith's anvil. Well, that might be anything. Have you tried to trace those calls? Mr. Kent here did. Without much luck, I'm afraid, whoever it is that's making these calls must be using a portable telephone tapped into an existing line. We'll get nowhere in that direction. Yes? Yes, he's here. The switchboard operator has a call for you, Mr. Crane. Well, Mr. Crane, this might not be just an ordinary call, you know. Yeah, Kent's right. Uh, Clark, you listen in on the extension. Hello? Crane speaking. Holding secret meetings at the Planet office won't help you, Crane. Who is this? I'll do the talking and you'll listen. I wanted to remind you that the SS Rector, one of your prize luxury liners, is scheduled to sail from Pier 19 at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Unless you agree to pay $100,000 as I instruct, the Wrecker will destroy that ship at exactly 145. What is your answer? My answer is no. Very well, Mr. Crane. Just remember, 145. Did you hear it? That strange background noise? Yes. What did it sound like to you? Well, offhand, it sounded vaguely familiar, but I, I can't identify it. And then you should have let me agree to pay the demand while I have the chance. If the wrecker destroys that vessel, I'll hold you personally responsible. That gives us three hours. We can concentrate every police officer and plainclothesman the city can spare in and around the pier. I suppose I should be grateful, but we're not dealing with any ordinary criminal. And he wouldn't be dealing with any ordinary opponent if Superman could be there. That's an idea. Between Superman and an army of guards, the wrecker wouldn't stand a chance. You think you could contact him before deadline? We could try. The early morning edition of the planet is about to go to press. 
Perhaps a page one notice would alert him. If Superman shows up at that pier, I'd like to be there, Chief. So would I. Cover reporter Jimmy Olsen has irritated Perry with his theories about the wrecker. Chief? Don't call me Chief! Mr. White, could I talk to you for a minute? Come in and close the door. There's a draft. You know, I've been thinking. You've been thinking? Well, now, there is a twist. I've been thinking about the wrecker. What do you know about the wrecker? You weren't even in here. Well, somebody must have left the key on one of your intercoms down, and I was in Mr. Kent's office, so I just happened to... So someone left one of the keys in my intercom down, eh? Couldn't have been you, of course. I guess it could have. But anyway, I got it all figured out who the wrecker is. You have? Who? Well, it could be anybody. I blame myself. I hired you. Hundreds of boys, bright boys, applied for the job, and I chose you. And you won't be sorry either, Chief. I'm sorry already. You won't be sorry if I figure out who the wrecker is. All right, Mr. Olson, what is your theory? Who is the wrecker? Well, it could be Mr. Kilgore, or Mr. Crane, or Mr. Morgan, <clears throat> or even you. <laughs> yes, yes, I guess you're right. Yeah. I called myself on the telephone and asked myself if I could speak to Mr. Crane. Oh, golly, Chief, I don't really think you're the wrecker. I just... Get out of here! Get out of here! Cover a story! Go to lunch! Go anywhere! But get out of here! Thanks, Chief. Thanks for what? For telling me to cover the story. Great Caesar's ghost! Lois realized that the meeting between Perry Henderson and the three transportation heads was held in the strictest confidence. In spite of all those guards at the pier, Clark, I'm worried. We don't know who we're looking for. We've never seen the wrecker. Perhaps we have, Lois. What do you mean by that? Well, that meeting in the chief's office was held in strictest confidence. Yet whoever called Crane knew all about it. Then somebody at that meeting tipped off the wrecker. Unless somebody at that meeting was the wrecker. Miss Lane, Mr. Kent, the chief said for me to go along with the pier with you. All right, Jimmy, get in. Lois, Clark, and Jimmy have arrived at the pier. We got here as soon as we could, Inspector. Is Superman here yet? I haven't seen him. Maybe he hasn't read the notice in the planet. It's 145. Sure she'd show. I wouldn't worry about it, Miss Lane. I don't think the wrecker will risk trying anything with armed guards covering every inch of this dock area. Inspector, if you don't mind, I'd like to stroll down the pier and take a look at that last-minute loading. Sure, go ahead. Thank you. Afraid you're not going to get your story today, Miss Lane. One minute before deadline. And still no sign of Superman. Never mind. We've got the situation under control. One forty-five exactly. I don't see anything or even hear anything. Of course not. We've stopped the record cold. Superman! Well, the danger's past. What's he here for? His superhuman ears pick up the sound of a small motor buzzing. It is coming from a toy airplane loaded with explosives. Superman catches it before it can reach the Rector. Superman has stopped the Rector's latest crime. This innocent appearing little toy isn't as harmless as it looks. It's equipped with a high explosive warhead and a radio control unit that will guide it to its target. Well, how did you get hold of it? Superman brought it here and left it in my care. If he hadn't intercepted that in midair, it would have destroyed the steamship Rector. So that's how the Wrecker caused those disasters. 
The trick is to find who's been causing them. There's obviously a man who's very familiar with guided missiles and aerodynamics. Well, I'll take this little plaything down to the crime lab. Maybe they can trace it down. Yes? Hold on. It's the wrecker. You want you, Inspector. Now, look here, whoever you are. I'm warning you. On the contrary, I'm warning you. Superman's powers cost me a victory. But he has one weakness. Even Superman can only be in one place at a time. I'll defeat him merely by destroying a dozen targets simultaneously. You wouldn't dare. Must I prove it? Or are you ready to meet my terms? All right, I, I guess you win. What's the rest of it? I want $100,000 in small bills wrapped in an unmarked parcel. At 8 o'clock tonight, place the package on the tree stump you'll find in the city park, 50 feet east of the bridle path just north of the lake. Is that clear? I understand. Now we got him. I don't see how. That park is hemmed in by city streets. I'll post hidden spotters at every entrance and in the shrubs surrounding the tree stumps. And they'll be waiting to close in on the wrecker the minute he tries to escape with the package. Exactly. Hmm. I wonder who will show up to claim that money. The Metropolis Park is swarming with police guards. Lois, Jimmy, and Clark are with Inspector Henderson to get the exclusive story on the wrecker's capture. Well, we've waited long enough. The wrecker isn't going to show up. Maybe the cordon of police we staked out scared him off. Well, there's nothing left to do but go over and get the package. Come on. All right. Well, this is interesting. What do you know? Oh, cheapers, the money's gone. It was lying there just a moment ago in plain sight. I saw it myself. Well, you just told me that this whole area was surrounded with a cordon of police. So how could anybody have gotten in and taken that package? Then what became of it? Well, I think I know the answer to that, Lois. This stump is hollow. Uh-huh. The trap door on the top. So all the wrecker had to do was to lift up from beneath, grab the package, and disappear. If only Superman had been here, his X-ray vision could have seen him. I'm afraid not, Lois. You see, this stump is lined with the one thing that Superman can't see through. Sheet lead. But where does the hole lead to? I can tell you that. I should have remembered it. This shaft connects with an abandoned water main. The passage runs under this section of the city for a mile in either direction. Well, then all the wrecker had to do was to run along the passage and escape through any one of the manholes. Along with 100,000 beautiful dollars. Well, he's welcome to it. All he got for his trouble was a nice, bulky package containing strips of blank paper. Hmm. Well, tough luck, Inspector. Come on, kids. Now, come on, let's go. Daily Planet exclusively covers capture of Wrecker at City Park. What a lovely headline that would have made for the morning edition. And what a lovely headache it turned into. We have a chance to capture the Wrecker and we let him slip through our fingers. Don't worry, Lois. We'll hear from the Wrecker again. He'll give us another clue. What other clue? All we've got to go on are those strange noises we heard each time he telephoned. Well, maybe we'll find out what those strange noises are. Without any further clues to go on, Clark has decided to take Lois and Jimmy to the carnival, where he tests his strength. Now, is there anyone else who'd like to be Superman? How about you, Jim? Show him how good you are. Oh, no, not me. I'm no Superman. What about Mr. Ken? He's bigger than I am. Oh, no. If he's Superman, I'm Queen of the May. Don't let that bother you, bud. Maybe you're not exactly the Superman type, but take a crack at it anyway. All right. 
Brother, now I've seen everything. Well, golly, Mr. Kent, you... you wrecked the whole thing. I, I'm very sorry. I'll be more than happy to pay you any damages you want. I don't want any pay. I just want to know how you did it. Well, I guess sometimes I don't know my own strength. Come on, Lois. Well, I hope you've had enough fun for the evening. And the fun is just about to start. Tell me, those noises back at that concession remind you of anything? Should they remind me of anything? All I heard was the thudding noise from the mallet. And the clanging of the bell. And that doesn't make you think of anything? The telephone warnings. Uh-huh. The thudding noise and the bell clang are the identical background sounds we couldn't quite place. That's what I was hoping you'd say. Then the wrecker must have his headquarters at a carnival. I think so, Jimmy. And it must be somewhere near where a phone wire can cut into an extension line. Anyway, you cover that area of the grounds. I'll cover this, and I'll meet you back here, okay? Right. Lois and Jimmy have discovered a house near the carnival grounds. A line for the portable telephone has been attached to the pole close to it. Lois and Jimmy see a man arrive. They hide and eventually follow him inside. You're wasting your time. There's nothing in that package but blank paper. Who are you, and how'd you get in here? We saw where you hit the key. We looked for you in the park, but then you did your traveling underground. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't give us that. There's the package you got away with. There's a tapped phone wire outside leading in here. These model airplanes speak for themselves. You're the wrecker, all right. Who's that? One way to find out? Answer it, Jim. Watch what you're saying. Who is it? You know very well who it is, Hatch. Did you get that package? Yes. Then hold on to it. I'll be there shortly. Who was it? You got me, Miss Lane. But we're soon going to have company. Good. The more the merrier. Take that wire and tie up this character. We'll let Clark in on the finale. After tying up Emil Hatch, Lois and Jimmy tell Clark of what they have discovered. Where have you two been? I've been worried sick about you. Well, it took us a little longer than we expected to, to capture the wrecker. To what? We got him hogtied in a shack just outside the carnival grounds. No. You left him alone? Well, come on. He might get away. That's exactly what I was afraid of. Someone got to him after you left. And killed the wrecker. Now, wait a minute, Lois. If this man was the wrecker, then who killed him? Come on. I got the reports on Emil Hatch from the police files, Chief. He's got a criminal record as long as a coast-to-coast -coast train ticket. Well, that doesn't prove he was the wrecker. Maybe this will convince you. He was last employed by the government as consultant on guided missiles and aerodynamics before suddenly disappearing with a fistful of top-drawer secrets. Well, that seems to ruin Clark Kent's theory. I don't see Mr. Kent hanging around to defend his theories. He went down to that shack early this morning to search for clues. He hasn't returned yet. Here we are, Mr. White. Right on time. Time for what? Well, didn't Superman tell you? He asked me to bring these gentlemen here this morning without fail, promising to produce the wrecker no later than noon. And gentlemen, I intend to keep my word. Did you bring the wrecker with you? No, Inspector Henderson, I didn't. You did, however. He's present in this room. Are you accusing one of us? Oh, this is ridiculous. Well, what about Hatch, the criminal that was found last night in that shack near the carnival? 
Hatch was a wanted man. The wrecker knew this and threatened exposure unless Hatch followed orders. So in exchange for freedom and the promise of power, Hatch was forced to construct these miniature robot planes and give the warnings on the telephones. But Hatch made the mistake of letting himself be captured. So he had to be killed in order to protect someone's identity. Whose identity? Which one is it? Inspector, meet the record. You're crazy. You've got nothing against me. You gave yourself away, Mr. Crane, when that harmless miniature plane came at you. Only a man who knew the danger of those miniature guided missiles would have tried to escape, and you ran true to form. But this means Crane was sabotaging his own steamships. That's right, Inspector, for the insurance money. But he had to attack the other two main transportation systems in order to divert suspicion from himself. And any extortion money he might have collected would have been an added windfall. Come along, Wrecker. This time you missed the boat. Thank you, Superman. Yeah. My pleasure. What I don't understand is how this gadget flew in here all by itself. It didn't, Mr. White. Jim Olson directed it from the rooftop across the street there. He used a remote control unit that Kent found in Hatch's hideaway. Well, you better call him back here, Lois. After all, we've got a paper to get out. And where's Clark Kent? He ought to know better than to stay away this long. Well, oh, I think he's around somewhere, sir. <laughs> so, what do you think of this one? Uh, oh, I like this episode better than I thought I did when, <clears throat> you know, when we first talked about which episodes we were going to talk about. And I thought, oh, well, cool, Perry's scoop will be fun and eh, Wrecker's okay. Right. Uh, I actually liked the Wrecker quite a bit watching it again. And today, after not seeing it for a while, I actually liked it quite a bit, actually. Uh, you know, it's got some really fun scenes in it. Got some a nice little mystery. Actors who is the bad guy. One of the business guys turns out being uh, was a bad guy in a different episode. Right. Uh, we've got uh, one of the actors played the uh, father. And I was looking it up. His name is Denver Pyle, the guy who played the actor who played Hatch, Pyle, and uh, I think he put in. Actually, I just went to Google and did Denver Pyle right. uh, on Andy Griffith, and there's some fun videos and there's a memory and memory of uh, where it looks like they've put together a lot of his clips. But he was the the, the father, I think, of the Lovely Flame. I forgot what the name is of their last name, but I think their last name might have been Lovely or something. And uh, always trying to marry the daughter off. Right. But but his sons. He had three or four sons, and they were all uh, like really high-end quality bluegrass musicians. And I loved it when the lovely family was going to be on this Andy Griffith show because there was going to be some good music. But anyway, yeah, it's just chock full of several really good actors. The story was a fun mystery. We didn't know that it was going to end up being, you know, one of the business owners himself. Although they have used that kind of plot, you know, a business owner hurting himself or his business to throw off suspicion so he could get insurance money. We've seen that before. Right. Fireman's friend, several of them actually, but I thought I, I enjoyed it. And I think because of the acting, because of the little clues they left, the, uh, you know, a nice little mystery, some good interaction. We see some good Lois and Jimmy scenes, whereas we didn't see a whole lot of Lois in the previous episode. There's a little bit of Lois here. 
and she and Jimmy, you know, catching the wrecker. Well, not the wrecker, right. but but Hatch, the guy who he, was yeah, doing he it. is kind of well, he kind of is the wrecker. Yeah, yeah, you know, he is the execution right. of. He's the guy who puts the plan into effect. He's the guy who actually builds and, I guess, controls the little planes. Right. But anyway, but anyway, yeah, I think uh, a good episode. Good episode. You know, I was watching this episode, and I was thinking, you know what? This one holds up. And this is actually something that's still an issue, especially now with drone technology. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I think you can put this episode on now, and it, aside from the obviously little toy planes... You could do the same story with drone, with modern drone technology. And oh, absolutely, absolutely. Especially with all the laws that have gone up, revolving around where you can and can't fl- can't fly a drone, because right. it seems like everybody has them. Right. And if we're keeping track of these sorts of things, they had to shoot a new flying scene, an original flying scene for this episode when of him ca- catching when he up to the little plane. Yeah, when he catches up to the little plane, it switched from one of the stock flying scenes that they use regularly that I like, or one of my favorite type flying scenes. But they cut from that to him flying closer and catching the toy airplane. So, uh, uh, yeah, they had to shoot a new flying scene for this. This episode starts off with some with narration. I was trying to figure out if that was some a, a familiar voice, but I couldn't place it. And they don't give credit for the narrator. They, they don't. I, uh, I bet serial to serial. I bet one of my books does, and I forgot to look it up. Right. I didn't even remember that there was a narrator until it started. Right. And I went, "Oh man, there's a narrator." But one thing sticks out stuck out to me about that narration. Mm. He says it started a year ago. Does that mean mm. these attacks have been going on for a year? Apparently. Wow. And they're all coming to a head. You would think they wouldn't have put up with it for a year. For, yeah, exactly. For I, him I, blowing I, up a ship and an airplane. Right. I'm thinking. It took a year for Superman to get involved? Really? That just kind of stuck stuck out at me. So obviously, this, this episode starts the way you want no episode to start, with mm. a lot of exposition. <laughs> that's all this narration is. This episode starts off with five minutes of talking. And when you think about it, that's about a fifth of the episode. It's a long time. It is. Especially for kids to sit through, but there were enough visuals. And I also thought it was very interesting and I and I didn't again. It's one of these things you think you've seen these things a zillion times, but then when you're actually watching it with the eye of oh, I'm going to talk about this later as a podcast, you start looking for. And in this opening scene with the narration going on, things I find very interesting in the scenes that we're seeing. We'll hear Perry White, for example, the sound of the telephone receiver being hung up or picked up or the people dialing the phones. But when they're looking at each other actually talking, we hear nothing. Right. Are, so did they edit the sound out or were those actors pretending to talk because they were told there's going to be narration over top of this? Right. The only uh, thing that makes the narration work is the fact that we're seeing the visuals. We the get visuals. The, we get the plane explosion, the train yes. goes. The ship exploded. Right. There's some nice visuals cutting back and forth between all the main characters and talking about it in newspapers and that kind of stuff. So a nice little editing job, nice visuals. Right. Uh, but me, from the technical standpoint, I did think it was very interesting in all of those cutaways of people talking. We don't right. hear them talking, but we hear the other sound effects around them. Henderson, the paper shuffling, all of that stuff. We hear it. We hear the woman dialing a phone. But we never hear anybody saying anything, even though their mouths are moving. So right. I just thought that was interesting from a technical standpoint, how they would shoot that. I'm guessing we're getting to the point where the uh, transportation is starting to get crippled a little bit here. Nobody wants to take the train, ride the steamship, or right. take the plane. Right. 
And obviously they're frightened and they wanna, they want, they wanna pay him off just to kind of make him go away, but you know what? You, you do that and uh, this guy's not gonna go away. He's, he's just gonna, it's just gonna make him bolder and. Well, blackmail. Yeah, right. you can't, you can't pay the blackmailer. No, you can't. And Henderson kind of says this to them. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not gonna go away. So the only clue is the repeated thump that Perry <laughs> described in the bell. Now, Mr. Crane gets a phone call from the wrecker and, when they show Lois and Clark on the uh, on the phone there, yeah, that is, I think that's when I realized they were even in the room. Because I think that's the first time <laughs> you show them, right? They may not be in the room. I was surprised because they did cut away, but you know their shots are separate. It may have been them just right. replying. But I I enjoyed that scene. It was a close up of their two heads with the phone receiver between the two of them listening. That's a very famous and- shot. It's a great shot, and Lois's eyes are just darting all over right. the place. Man, she's thinking and looking and replying and responding, thinking and thinking and looking at it. It's, just, it's a good scene. I really like that scene, the two of them together. I mean, I feel like I've seen that shot a lot to the point where it was probably uh, a famous, they used it as a famous still photo or something. Mm. As soon as I saw that shot, I immediately recognized it. Mm. So I must have seen it in a magazine or on a website or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure it's been around. It's one of those shots that's a very good shot. Now, uh, Mr. Crane is threatened in front of everybody. They hear the sounds that Perry's hearing, but uh, no one can place the, the bell sound. They're thinking maybe it sounds like the blacksmith anvil. And here we go in the meeting. Uh, Lois wants to send Superman. Again, if this is really going on a year, I have a hard time believing this is the first time Superman gets involved in this. Yeah, yeah. I'm ignoring the fact that the narrator said it's been going on for a year. I'm wishing he hadn't said it. Yeah, I, I'm going to ignore that. It's it just, just kinda, started. It just kind of sends the mind down a rabbit hole, which yeah, for me it's been good. going on. It's been going on for a couple of weeks. Right. It would take a few weeks, you know, for the guy to set it all up. It would be national if he blew up that silver liner, silver streak airplane, right? Then that ship, then the train, all in the same day or within the same couple of days. So I think this has been stretched out a little bit, but not over a course of a year. No. Mm-mm. So I'm totally ignoring the fact that the narrator in the beginning said uh, a year. It makes it sound very dramatic, though, the way he says that. I well, agree. I it agree. all started I a agree. year ago. I agree. Now, maybe it started a year ago with him threatening. You've got 12 months to give me. You've got 11 months to right. give me. And then, you know, boom. <laughs> start stuff that's blowing up. Right. So, so then we get this scene of Jimmy kind of hanging around Perry's office. And I really like Jack Larson in this scene here. He's kind of milling around outside the door. Trying to get up the courage to go in to talk to the chief. Right. So he goes in, calls chief, and he pulls the door shut. Yeah. And needs to uh, summon up a little bit more courage. Just, you know, just some great, just, it's just Jack Larson by himself. But it's, you can read Jimmy just by watching Jack Larson perform. Absolutely. You can see the anxiety right on him. Eventually, Jimmy goes in. And Jimmy has an idea of who the wrecker is. Yeah, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I kind of saw that scene. I'm like, yeah, of, of course it is, Jimmy. Of course, yes, it is any. It could be anybody. Right. And uh, Jimmy suspects one of the three people we saw in the meeting, Kilgore, Crane, and Pierre Walken. Forgetting his name off the top of my head. Jimmy can't get out of his own way, though. No. Because then he says to Perry, well, it could also be you. <laughs> 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 and then Perry just kind of... Yeah, but Perry loses it, yells at him, get out of here. Go is, do this, go do that, is, is, go is do this, a story. Is this, the moment, is this the moment where Perry kind of goes through of all the boys I could have hired? Yes. 
why did it have to be you? Yes. <laughs> and then he yells and says, just get out of here. Go cover a story. Get out. Well, thanks, Chief. I'll do that. Yeah, and the way he yells, Great Caesar's Ghost. Yeah. It looks like he's about to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Yeah, this is just real perfect. This is Perry White. This right. is this is Perry White. And, you know, like I said, I, I kind of like that Jimmy kind of turned Perry's words around on him a little bit. Right, and then runs. Next, right. Because you know. this is not where Perry wanted Jimmy to be going. Uh, not at all. But he is. But he does get to catch up with Clark and Lois downstairs and right. says, the chief has assigned me to cover the story, too. Right. And Jimmy Clark, all right, get in. And, you know, Clark is also, before Jimmy arrives, though, I like that Clark is thinking along the same lines as Jimmy is. Yes. Because Lois and Clark both know that meeting was secret. Yes. So maybe it was one of the three guys. Yep. Neither one of them is going to go to Perry, though, and say that it could be him, though. No, they're going to do the story first. Right. Then, right. But they're not going to accuse Perry White of being one of the guys. No. You kind of blow your whole, right. you know, uh, believability there. Now, I have one question about this car. Only one? Yes. It has mm-hmm. a back seat. Yes, it does. Why are they all crammed in the front? Uh, that was very typical in those days, actually. Right. That was very typical. You have a bench seat. It's not bucket seats. It's not individual seats. It's a bench. And more times than not, if there were three people, they'd all be in the front seat. Right. Especially if one of them is a female, but because smaller usually. But yeah, I can remember all of us as kids, uh, not kids, but teenagers and whatever, and those old 50s cars. Uh, My first three, four cars were all... Late fifties, early sixties cars. So, and they all had bench seats. And when, yeah, when the guys, anyway, we would all, yeah, it was three of us. We'd all be in a front seat. I guess cars were also wider back then. Yeah. Yes, it was very comfortable, and it would have would almost seemed weird if one of them had gotten in the back. Right. Could have been Jimmy, but even then, it would be. It would been. Uh, yeah, it worked. Right. So it also worked for the camera shot of. Uh... You see them right. all, all three of them driving up. The thing that I noticed was that because that was kind of what's called a hard top convertible, right? Uh, it was kind of like a, a moon roof that just kind of slid back or whatever. But they always had it open. Uh, you notice when Clark got in it to drive as they drove off, his hat stuck above yeah. the, the roof line, the ceiling line. So I thought that was interesting. But uh, it's rare that you see Clark driving that car. Most of the time, it's Lois driving that right. car. All right, so now we're going to go down to the docks. Clark takes his exit, ducks away, and changes into Superman. And what do you think of Henderson here? Because even without Superman, Henderson seems, I'd almost say, overconfident here. <laughs> and Well, Henderson was sure his guys, they had the place covered. No right. way, guy's just not going to show up. And then when Jimmy spots Superman, you know, mm-hmm. Henderson seems almost annoyed that Superman is there. Like, yeah, why is he here? The trouble's gone. It's a half hour later or whatever. Right. Yeah, dangerous past. Well, nope. And apparently we find out that it hasn't because this is where we get that shot of Superman chasing down the chasing down the plane here. Very a nice. new scene shot for this episode. Right. Right. Yeah. And we never see it again. And it's only like, you know, less than thirty seconds, but it's twenty seconds. Thirty yeah. seconds. Didn't actually time it. But. It wasn't very long, but you know, mm-hmm. it probably took forever to shoot that. Yeah. But he chases down the small plane and he catches it. And then he says, it, and then it goes to the Daily Planet building, because that's where everything goes. So now they know how the Wrecker is attacking ships and trains and planes and all that good stuff. And the Wrecker is going to up the ante here. And he's going to destroy a dozen targets at once. 
because, well, 1950s technology can't show Superman stopping uh, a dozen drones at once. Right. Might want to call his cousin in to uh, shoot some, help shoot some drones out of the sky. She didn't exist. I know. No, not yet. She showed up in what? 59? 57, 58. All right, so. I'd have to look that up again. I should know that again. Off the Dates are losing me now. I know which story it was. I know which episode. I know which issue it was. Right, 252. Yeah. Action Comics, 252. Yeah. And uh, Superman 123 had a Supergirl story of a blonde Supergirl in a red and blue costume. Right. Wished up by Jimmy as a girlfriend for Superman, right. who sacrifices herself at the end. So now with uh, the, th- the Wrecker threatening to destroy 12 targets at once, Henderson concedes, and the Wrecker wants $100,000 in small bills by 8 o'clock. And, you know, at this point, Henderson thinks he has the Wrecker, and I'm, I'm thinking this guy is a little too smart for this. I'm also thinking $100,000 is not a lot of money if you have the capability of pulling off a dozen explosions of major transportation uh, sites, ships, planes, trains, whatever. Yeah, I, it doesn't sound like a lot of money. I think I'd go at least seven figures for this. Easily. Easily. He should have bumped the money up to a million. Right. Not that he was going to get it either way. But right. A hundred grand, because I think he started out originally saying it was going to be a hundred thousand per terrorist act. Right. Now I'm going to pull a dozen of them off at one time, and I still only want a hundred grand. No, I'd be saying, look, you guys have screwed me enough. You've ticked me off. I've about had it now with you guys. Now my price is a million dollars, or I'm going to blow up twelve in 1954 money. Right. If it's 2016, we're we're looking at a lot more than a million dollars. Chump change. So now the money is sitting on a tree stump at the park at eight o'clock. And while Henderson, Lois, and another cop are just kind of hanging around in the background. And Harry, look how Clark here just casually drives up scares the <laughs> hell, and scares the hell out of everybody. Yeah, it's very funny. It is. And then eventually they decide to leave, and then they notice the money is gone. Oops. Oops, but they didn't see anyone. Uh-uh. And now Clark does some of the dumbest stuff I've ever seen. Well, not the dumbest, but if you're well, keeping track. they've been doing track- dumb stuff this whole scene. But if you're keeping track of the secret identity, oops, giving it away, okay, they show up here back to the stump. The money is gone. Okay? And how, how did that money disappear if they were watching the stump? Exactly. But apparently they weren't watching the stump because when Clark – I bet it all happened when Clark showed up. Right. They took their eyes off of it. The money disappears. And then they come out. And so Clark comes over and says, oh, blah, blah, blah. blah. They're all talking. What could have happened? And Clark, bang, right. knocks the hole. And then they said, oh, but X-ray vision would have seen. Well, and then Clark says, no, because it's lined with the one thing they can't see. It. Lead, lead line, well, lead, lead, lead. Well, that was well how do you that, know that, Clark? Well, that was in response. Well, yeah, how does he know that? How does he know that? Right. We don't know how we know You that. don't know. And why were they talking about Super- Superman's not there? Well, Lois brought him up. She said, too bad Superman isn't here or he would have seen through that. Right. And Clark says, no. And then Clark says, no, because it's lined with lead. Well, how do you know that, Clark? Because you tried to use your x-ray vision and you couldn't see through it. Right. Because if Henderson had said no because it's lined with lead, well, then you would think, well, how do you know that, Henderson? Yeah. What does Henderson how does care? anybody know? Right. So, it, you know, that's always to me when – and he does it all the time. In yeah. the com everywhere. Clark is, well, no, it's lined with that one thing. It's lead. I, right. Superman can't see through lead. Well, how do you know – how do you know it's lead? Right. Because you couldn't see through it. Oh. 
Well, secret identity. By now, everyone in Metropolis should have lead poisoning anyway, as Dave mentioned in his letter. As he mentioned, exactly. Another instance of lead. And, you know, if you look close at this stump before Clark punches it, you can see the little outline. Yeah. Right to the top of it where Clark is going to punch. Right. Maybe that was the door. The little trap door. The little trap door that he just broke. Now, all of a sudden, Henderson remembers that this the shaft in the tree stump is attached to an old water main. This, right. uh, this knowledge uh, might have been... Uh, Helpful earlier. <laughs> nope, he just brings it up now. Henderson was kind of off in this episode. He's not normally this uh, incompetent. No. He doesn't normally make all these mistakes. We, this is when we learned that it wasn't money, it was just a box of paper. So, where do you go next? Where would you go next after this? I'd go to the circus. What do you think? That, that's exactly where I would go. That's exactly where I would go. Especially if I was Clark Kent slash Superman and had pretty much figured it out now. Right. Well, not it all, but pretty much has an idea about the sound. Right. And this is, Lois has no idea why they're here. And she's not in the mood. And If there is one downside to Noel Neal's Lois, it would be that sometimes they use her in that manner to, to where the real Lois you know, would say, wait a minute, there's a story here. Right. You know, she would pick up on some of the story aspects instead of just, but, you know, periodically they will put Lois in that situation where she gets annoyed and doesn't know why Clark wants they, to They make her here out there. a little bit more than I would like. Right. You did an episode, I don't know if it's aired yet, The the, cl- the Clown Who Cried. Yes, that's out. And I like that episode a lot. And uh, there's a point in that one where Clark drops his glasses yeah, and steps on them. And Lois is a little annoyed. But uh, well, boy, yeah, she, was anno- she was annoyed because she, she had to go back to the office and get Clark's glasses. Right. But I thought that was pretty clever. But great actor, a couple of great actors in that episode playing the clowns. Uh, boy, that's a good episode, too. Okay, I need to listen. I haven't heard you heard that one yet. I need to go back yeah, and hear that, that one. That one came out last Tuesday. That's the that's still- Newest one on the feed. Oh, okay, good, good. As of this recording. All right, yeah, I'm a little behind, so. Where are we? We are, we're still at the circus. Clark is going to do the uh, little man competition here. He's going to swing the the hammer and the bell, sends the bell clear off the bar. The the, uh, little bell goes up, up, and away. (laughs) And I'm telling you, George Reeves does a great swing on this one, man. This is awesome. It is. The shot of the bell going off the the staff there is a little cartoony, but... A little cartoony. I think, you you know, you could probably freeze frame and see the string. You can. Okay. I haven't, but I assume... You don't, need, little, you don't, you don't need the freeze, the freeze frame. Yeah, there's a glint of the light hitting the string right, as the bell... A little string holding off the bell, and yeah. you get, somebody pulls it and up it goes. But Yeah, but still, it's the George Reeves, it's the way he just... Hits hits it with that mallet. Uh, it's a full. It's just terrific. Yeah, he's what holding nothing back. Scene. Nothing back. It's just a great, great scene. And the look on Lois and Jimmy's faces <laughs> are absolutely priceless. Yeah, yeah. But see, Lois should have been going through the roof on that. She Finally, proof, proof. <laughs> I have it. Finally, if this had happened in the fifth season. <laughs> oh God, I love it. Good she, scene. She had gone after him for far less. Oh yeah, exactly. But then, anyway, then really, here. really good. I love George in that scene, and and I love his <laughs> apologeticness after. 
He breaks it like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, don't know my own strength sometimes. Right. Playing with his glasses. Just right. terrific. And then in the next shot here, we discover that this version of Clark Kent apparently has uh, missed his calling as a teacher. As he's not actually telling them what he is discover- what he's suspecting. He's sitting there and making them figure it out. Right. Lois should have caught on quicker, but that's okay. That's okay. They were being us. They were being the... Right. They were the 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 10-year-old kids watching this. It's George telling us, okay, what did you just hear? Right. Is that familiar? Does it sound like anything you've heard before? Does it remind you of anything? Like when we were on the phone a little earlier and the things in the background? Yeah. Nope. Boom. Not. Eventually, he drags it out of them. <laughs> right. Right. So this leads Lois and Jimmy to kind of wander around, and uh, they eventually find uh, this little house or shed or whatever it is kind of behind the carnival do you notice when you were watching this how they see the house and the music changes yes right from the carnival music to the uh more bad guy music to the bad guy ominous <laughs> yeah. bad guy music yeah. gone are the fun carnival sounds and the music is really setting the tension here yes it is and the look it looks it's a rundown it's a scary looking little building it is kind of off by itself yeah and then they go in, they go on the porch there, they see the uh, extra wire running off the telephone pole, so there, there's a clue. The extra wire, that's how telephone, those things you carry in your pocket that are right. your camera, your selfie machine. <laughs> yes, your selfie machine is also what's called a telephone. Yes, you talk on it. And in olden times, people would talk to each other, and the signal was carried, yes, over a wire. That's right. A wire. Yes, so uh, a wire, yep. Those were the days. I remember those days. Analog may be the future. If you want privacy anymore, you may have to go back to analog. Yeah, you might. Everything's getting hacked now. So, and now here. Yeah, well, hack up on this here. <laughs> <laughs> so here comes someone who is grabbing a key on top of the doorframe here. It is probably easier to take the key with him, but apparently he doesn't. Apparently he doesn't. He just leaves it there for everyone to find. At least so, it's not under the doormat. No, well, that would be the next place to look. And lo- and what I find interesting is that he puts the key back there. Yeah, didn't even take it in with him. No. So, making it very easy for Lois and Jimmy to use the key to uh, come right in and make a citizen's arrest. Because they find him with the package from the park, and he's surrounded by model planes. And that's when Jimmy takes, takes a phone call. So, so now we know that even though this is the guy, there's somebody else... Pulling the strings, giving yep. the orders, and he's about to show up. Yes. So Lois and Jimmy tie a, tie a patch, and you get the impression that they're going to wait. Hold that thought. Yes. Because meanwhile, Clark is busy. Uh, while Lois and Jimmy are working, Clark is playing the ring toss. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's back at their meeting place waiting right. for them, like they said they would meet back. Right. What really should have happened was... Jimmy probably should have held the gun or Lois held the gun on the bad guy and told the other guy, Lois or Jimmy, to go back and get Clark. Yeah, someone should have stayed with him. And call the cops. Well, they should have left him alone. Right, because they should not have left him alone. So they leave him alone. They go back, meet Clark, tell Clark. Now they go back to the cabin. And gee, guess where the re- they got the plane? He's dead. Yeah, he's not he's not waking up. He's dead. He's dead. <sighs> Denver Pyle is dead. He is. Hatch. And Emil Hatch. And Clark is uh 
You know, Clark says the uh, what everybody else should be thinking is if shouldn't have left him there alone. Well, not only that, but if he's the wrecker, who killed him? Who killed him? Exactly. Right. And then we go to the next scene, and Lois and Perry are completely, are completely disregarding that. That nope, with his with his uh, history, he is the wrecker, and uh, maybe they've got a point. But Lois convinces Perry that Clark's overthinking this, but he's not. And then here comes Henderson with uh, our three uh, captains of transportation. And what do you think of how Superman uh, susses out the bad guy here? Lame. Everybody would duck if a plane came flying into the room. Well, they did all duck. Everybody ducked. So how do you just pick that one guy out? Because he. Was I think the difference is everybody else ducked. That one guy ducked and started to go towards the door. Yeah, he tried to leave the room. And that's when Superman grabbed him. Right. But everybody ducked, not because the plane could have had a bomb in it, but because it's a plane flying around inside the room. At their heads. It would hurt. Yes. Duck. So that was pretty lame. I thought so, but, too. But, um, you know, I understand it, and it worked for the plot. Right. I think in modern times, it would probably work a little better because you'd have more control of a drone inside. Uh, they weren't really – that couldn't hover. That was a thing flying around and creating all kinds of havoc. They and do, they do it, tell they do telegraph the, guilt, the guilty man, though. Yes, they do. Because yes, they do. Crane is the only one who uh, – while the other two are indignant about possibly being accused of being the wrecker. Yeah. What does Crane mention? Crane asks about Hatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You were asking me? Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It was rhetorical. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I just I just took a very long pause for dramatic <laughs> okay. effect. Yeah, I thought, oh, am I supposed to answer now? Is this a quiz? <laughs> <laughs> but he, Crane, I did note that Crane, I, I went back and watched the scene a second. Yes. Because yes. I didn't see, I didn't, I saw everybody duck. I'm like, wait a minute, how did he know? So I watched the scene a few times before I noticed that, ha- that, not, that Crane ran toward the door. Right. But then I went back and watched it again. Crane is the only one to have asked about Hatch. Yes, exactly. And said, I thought you had the wrecker. Right. 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 So. Uh, but again, it's an elaborate plot for not enough money. Right. It almost costs that much money to pull this plot off, blowing up all those places and hiring people. I don't know. But the thing is, it, the, the plot seems rather ordinary compared to the way it was set up. The, the revelation yeah. at the end doesn't seem to match the tension. Right. From the whole right. episode. Right. And I think that's kind of why I think there was a little bit of corniness with the plane kind of flying around the room because everybody was going to duck. And it was right. so subtle and quick of Crane moving then towards the door and Superman catching him. Uh, but that's the only explanation, the only thing he did differently than everybody else. Right. But the way Superman said it, it made it think he was the only one who even reacted at all to the plane right, when which, everybody in the room was ducking. And that's why I went back. I'm like, wait a minute. Right. That's not exactly how it happened. The right. Way, you have to do a double take. Right. Because, no, they all did duck. But then I mentioned later, because you, you don't really see that much of him going toward the door because Superman stops him immediately. Immediately he as takes, he turns towards he the door. He takes one step, if that, and Superman catches yeah. him. It's kind of a turn and a motion towards the door. Right. And Superman grabs him on his left arm. So he doesn't get very far at all. To the point where if you're not watching closely... You'll miss the fact that he did something different. Right. So it feels like they spent too much time working on the rest of this stuff. <laughs> they kind of setting everything up. They kind of had to end it quickly. Yeah. 
But I did like the fact that it's, you know, once again, it's so weird that so much, and again, because it's money and, you know, we know in real life why, but so many important things in Metropolis take place in Perry White's office at the Daily Planet. Heads of industry, heads of everything keep coming and showing up meetings, uh, international people. Everybody shows up for meetings at Perry White's office in the Daily Planet. Former mayor of Metropolis. Yes, as the crime wave. Uh... Exactly. Yeah, that's not on the DVD. That voice, that narration that says he's the mayor of Metropolis is not on the... Isn't it? It's not. Uh, that is the that's... T- that's the TV version. Yeah, because that's so embedded into my brain. It might, too. And they have uh, they said it in the radio show, too. He was mayor in the radio show. And I think they mentioned it in some of the early comics when Perry first came along. Right. And Silver Age, I think. I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure how the comics handled it, but uh, I know for a fact it was here in the show and on the radio show. Well, right now I'm listening to uh, the Stolen Costume radio show. Right. Right. And he is mayor. Yeah, he is mayor. He is the mayor during that one on the radio show. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, good episode. After all this, it's an insurance scam. Yeah, it's an insurance scam, which they've used several times in these and in so many different ways. They've used the insurance scam in the Superman episodes in um, even thought of the lucky cat for some reason or the unlucky cat. The, the lucky cat. The lucky cat. Uh, the final thing the guy was yep, that was also an insurance scam. Uh, the fireman's friend thing turned out to be an insurance. No, scam. that was that wasn't insurance. That was one of the guys who was burning his own place down oh oh right that wasn't that was, uh, fireman's friend that was the uh, jimmy and the talkative dummy might have been an insurance scam yeah that, that was an insurance scam yeah the building contractor i'll bet there were several that did i'm sure that i'm sure there were it's uh it's the common yeah. reason why businessmen go yeah. bad yeah so but anyway i thought the record you know it was better than i thought it was going to be when we were talking previously about what episodes we were going to talk about right uh i really thought that you know Perry's scoop was going to be the highlight, and well, it was. It was. It, Perry's scoop was, was definitely the highlight. Yeah, it really was. But this was not a groaner. This was not, oh, jeez. No, no, this wasn't through the time barrier or anything. This was... Um, this episode was fine until the ending. Yeah, the ending the, was a little... was a little quick. lame. Yeah, but... Uh, but they had to use... They, had, they wanted to use the plane. They had to use the plane. I think it would have been more effective maybe outside or... Right somewhere else or maybe maybe that's why they couldn't come up with a better way to bring the plane back in under the budget yeah well jimmy can is piloting that plane from across the street right how does he see where he's flying it no he can't he can't (laughs) he can't uh with modern technology yes because you can put yeah uh i mean my god you can have gopros on your little drones nowadays so you can put a little fiber optic camera on it but no but now yeah he can't see where he's flying that thing but he does well for someone who can't see where he's flying it. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. But anyway, good episodes. This was fun. This yeah, was, was. these were these were this one was better than I had. And um, again, I do like Mr. Denver Pyle as I talked about before. I like that actor. Uh, he's been in a lot of stuff, and not the least of which, I highly recommend looking up if you like bluegrass music. Look up his appearances on the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, some really good. Good music. And the music was being played live right there with Andy Griffith also playing guitar. Right. So, uh, yeah, really good. 
But terrific, terrific for 1954. Yep, early 54. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, very good. So, where can the folks find you? Where can they find me? Hiding under the bed, usually. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, if you want to listen to some of my other Superman babblings, I am at Superman Forever Radio. That's a podcast that I do, and you can find it at supermanforever.com. And that's pretty much my Superman. I do a music show periodically every other month or so or every couple of months. Whenever the mood strikes uh, and I have some time, I do a music show on the Two True Freaks Network called Long Play. But uh, I'm not actually the host. That show is a very unique show. It doesn't actually have a host. I've done quite a bit of them. I've hosted quite a bit of them. But it rotates. There's several of us that come in and will have a guest. And just that was basically if someone has an album they want to talk about. Yeah, pretty they much. Do an if you can get somebody to come on and talk with you, you know, knock yourself out, have a good time. Get in touch with uh, Chris Honeywell over yeah. there at the two, or me. You can get in touch with me. We can work something out. But that's it. But Superman Forever is my main show. That's where you can pretty much catch me most of the time. And I also uh, do a show monthly with John M. Wilson called the Giant Superman Podcast, where we take a look at the Silver Age of Superman through those 80-page giants. Having a blast doing that. Yeah, that's so, a fun show to listen to. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun with those. But anyway, that's it. That's where you can find me. Uh, what's next for you? What are your next episodes coming up? My next episodes are The Golden Vulture and Jimmy Olsen, Boy Editor. All right. I watched uh, Golden Vulture also today. I'm going to be watching Golden Vulture probably tomorrow and Boy yeah. Editor tomorrow too. Yeah. But anyway, enjoy that. I will not be around for that one. <laughs> now, we'll, we'll, bring you, we'll bring you back for some Season 3 stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward. We'll talk about some of the Season 3. I'll be back for Season 3, a couple of the color episodes, and as you move on down. I'll be popping my head in periodically here. This, I can't uh, let you go too far without me. Not to turn off the listeners at this point, but I'm looking at the episode list that I have left for Season 2, and this season kind of stumbles to the end. Yeah, it does kind of stagger across the finish line of Season 2. All the know? goodness is very front-loaded in this season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting moments in the boy editor. Yeah. Again, another one of these weird things where the term boy, I guess, is used for anybody under 25. Right. <laughs> so if you're 18 to 25, you were still considered a boy uh, as far as the adventures of Superman was concerned. Right. Well, but I understand what they were going yeah, for, yeah, trying to get, those, get us kids to relate to those guys. that We could be an editor, a chief of police. A mayor. So, well, enjoy. I have enjoy. Th- I have things to say about that, and I will save that for next week. Yes, I think you should, and enjoy. But thanks again for uh, inviting me. I'll be seeing you back again, I guess, for some color episodes oh, for season three. Sounds like fun. And uh, also, in addition to my uh, uh, and to this, I have uh, worked my way into being a co-host on the Fear of the Walking Dead cast over on the Two True Freaks Network. Well, yes. Guess how many episodes of The Walking Dead I have seen? Zero. One. Oh, you've seen one? I saw the pilot. Ah. And when I did, this was weird. Uh, my wife and I both, we watched the pilot. And when it was over, we thought, hey, that was pretty good. We'll right. be watching this. And something happened and just missed the next couple of episodes and just never went back. Right. Isn't that weird? Yes. So here's something that was a phenomenal uh, show a phenomenon as far as me, you know, public consciousness and right. culture is pop culture is concerned. And I've seen one episode of it. 
So, uh, which, you know, but congratulations on your new gig. Who are you co-hosting with over there? Well, it started out as Scott McGregor, Brian Hughes, and Beth Hughes. Mm-hmm. Sarah Toner and I have joined in. Uh, we joined, we, Sarah's been on, on with Scott at the very beginning. I kind of showed up for the uh, last, for the season finale of Fear of the Walking Dead. Right. And I haven't left yet. well two true freaks they do occasionally they hide their key under the doormat they don't they don't i use it all the time for long play they you know it's not like i'm an official guy over there periodically they either forget to lock the back door they leave the key under the mat right and the demonzo core you know well they haven't stopped me yet so we'll see i don't want to say i'm a regular because then scott might ask me to write a synopsis yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well, good. That sounds like fun. It is. Good luck. Have fun. Yeah, we're doing season seven right now. Jeez, um, the Walking so Dead. Amazing. And as always, you can reach me at, if you want to comment on anything you've heard on this show, you can reach me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. You just search for the Man of Screen podcast and it should come right up. And you can. The show has a Twitter account. You can find that at Man of Screencast. You can also leave reviews for the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That helps people find the show. So, until next time, with Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests. All music is in sound clips used in the making of this show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.